Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Wake up! Wake up! Mike Mulligan, David Haw. The Cubs are in a conundrum because they don't want to overpay. It is getting late. You know, I think Chicago got the comforts of a full belly. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't talk to Scott. With respect to Bellinger, like I'm, I'm like everyone else. We're just waiting. You know, we're waiting for um, whatever, uh, whenever he and his agent are going to engage. And uh, you know, it could be, could be any time now, or it could be a few weeks. We'll just see where it goes. I fear that if they don't get this done. There, people are going to feel like it was an unsuccessful offseason. Oh, my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Stay calm! And some big news from Cubs spring training this morning. ESPN reporting the team and free agent outfielder Cody Bellinger have reached a tentative deal on a new three-year, $80 million contract. He's only 28 years old. He will receive opt-outs after the first and second year of that contract. No official word yet from the Cubs or Bellinger. We will keep you posted. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw, 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 670 The Score. Fly the W. Let's go. <laughs> now that's got to be out of context. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. David with the rare day off, and we've got Gabe Ramirez here. You. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yesterday was quite the day at the United Center. Holy mother of God, what a glorious day. The banner raising for Kaner, excuse me, for for our guy Chelly. Caner there for his uh, whatever, 
return to Chicago. The game itself, Bedard scored a goal, but Kaner with the winner and everybody cheering. The crowd went home happy despite an overtime loss. Literally, like tons of celebrities, tons of fun, tons of uh, Chelly love, Kaner love, Blackhawks love. It was good. I mean, it felt like the Blackhawks needed it. It's been a while. Obviously, there's been a dark cloud over the organization for a few years now. So to get some positivity. And then you mentioned it, right? Dennis Rodman, Cindy Crawford, Wayne Gretzky. That might have been the highlight of the game. She comes out (laughs) and does the, you know, the puck puck thing. That was unbelievable. She scores a goal on that. Didn't even hesitate. No. Just whacked it, got it. It was pretty cool. So, yeah, it was good to see the, 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 the Madhouse on Madison rocking last night especially with everybody in attendance. Yeah, it was great. Um, every time they cut to a, a crowd shot, you're like, is that John McEnroe? Like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe he's here. It was pretty cool. Yeah, my boy, he uh, he works at the Four I don't know if I can say this. He works at the Four Seasons, so uh-huh. he's a bar manager over there. So he's, he was texting the group chat all weekend. Telling you who's look here? Who's, look who's here. Look at like, but, yeah. is, but is Jordan there? <laughs> That's the only one yeah. that I asked about. Mike what, didn't Jordan come. There? He did send the video. He said in the video that there was a death in the family, so he couldn't mm. be there. It was the right thing to do. It would have been bad had he shown up for that yeah. and not the Ring of Honor. Yeah. He missed them both. <laughs> Didn't make Chelly's <laughs> event, but that's okay. In your mind, Chris Chelios, just, you know, the player. Obviously, you you get the opportunity to talk to him all the time here on the show. But as a player, your, a great player. your memories of him, I mean, what? Oh, he was a great player. He was a, you know, he's probably the greatest American-born defenseman of of all time, and you know, th- they mentioned it. He led the Blackhawks in penalty minutes in nine years. <laughs> I- I'm just saying, if there was, you know, he could play a lot of different ways, and he could score goals, and he did so much. But he could also mix it up, and he was tough as nails, and just a hard man. You know, just a really great hockey player. And you know, you saw it in Montreal. You saw it um, sadly in Detroit. And he made a joke with Kaner about wearing that uniform. And, um, and, and, I mean, he just had tons of success. Great hockey player. And, and one of the all-time stories, given where he came from and, you know, growing up on the south side, he talked about, he, we've heard that story, going to Ace Hardware, getting the skates with his mom. I don't think I heard um, that story. Oh, yeah, mother. yeah. He, he's talked about it on the air. And, and just, you know. The way that he grew as a player, they moved to uh, to Southern California when he's in high school. So he leaves Mount Carmel, and he had tried out for some team, and he runs into a guy on the beach. You know, he's he's going to Muscle Beach, wherever whatever you do in San Diego, and uh, and the guy tells him, "Hey, you might have a chance in Moose Jaw. Here's the coach's name and number. You're a pretty good player. Give him a call." And that's how he ends up that's incredible. <laughs> getting into the minor league system, goes to Wisconsin, drafted by Montreal, wins a cup in Montreal, traded to Chicago. I mean, just a, it's it, it is, and he played till he was forty eight, right? He played uh, even beyond that in the minor leagues, but he wa- he played for the Trashers, I think, in his age forty eight season. Oh my god! And hockey's uh, not a sport you should be playing at forty eight. It's unbelievable. They said yesterday, and I, I got to ask him about this next time we talk to him. They said he played six years with a torn ACL. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you do that? 
hockey. You know, it's why I got a trick knee. What? Is that possible? You only, guacamole. You only push off one leg, Molly. You know, hmm. you know, there's certain things you got to have a workaround. Played I mean, at a high level all the time. I mean, wow. I love the part Great of his uh, speech where he talked about, you know, being traded to Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, hearing that, having that phone call with his agent. It's got to be a, a cool thing, right? Like, as you just mentioned, you know, being in San Diego, coming up to Wisconsin, going to Montreal, and then ultimately not necessarily knowing if you'll ever make it back to Chicago. Yeah. And then you get the opportunity to. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, he and Dick Butkus, the only – Chicago-born and bred players to have their jersey retired by the local football team, the local hockey team. You know, pretty extraordinary when you think about it. Yeah, and then uh, just waiting a couple years for Derrick Rose to join that duo. You think Derrick Rose will one day join that group? Do you think they'll raise his jersey? The the Bulls? Absolutely. Really? Yeah, it would would be a disservice to to Derrick Rose. It would be a slap in the face to all fans of Chicago. Hmm. Youngest MVP. Uh, he was the youngest ever MVP. It's just such a star-crossed career after that, Brandon. You know, it's such a tough, the injury and then the relationship with the team broke down. And, you know, I, I'd just be curious. I'm sure you're right. Someday they'll do it. But, you know, poor Derrick Rose. You know, just one of the all – you thought he'd be one of the all-timers. You also thought he was bound to get hurt the way he played and – you know, kind of. The, that it was inevitable. It's kind of yeah, like John Morant, just yeah. the style. Just his style of play. Jerry Sloan, Bob Love, Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen. Pretty that's, good. That's who's on the Raptors right now. That's actually. <laughs> not tons. It's not tons. So Der- who is it? So is, did, you say, did you say Bob Love? Who, who yeah. Before? Bob Love. Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan. Jordan Pippen. Mike and Pippen. And then okay. you have, you know, Phil Jackson, Jerry Krause situation. But the players, I mean. It'd be tough for Derrick Rose to have retired, time to have passed, the discussion to begin about whether or not his number should be retired, and 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 for someone to make a strong argument against it. It'd be because t- then it'd be emotionally driven at that point. Right. Well, I mean, I, in the present, I, you can I mean, make a good argument about look, his I, career and stats. Gale Sayers, I believe, Hall of Famer, um, who was the running back out in Denver that won a couple of uh, Super Bowls, Terrell Davis, guys who played six years, like did not have the length of career that you usually would expect, but were so extraordinarily good in a brief period of time that they've made the Hall of Fame. That would, the argument for would have to include that. It would have to be about the the length of of career wasn't long enough to justify retiring a number, just being honest. Whose length of career? Those Derek two gentlemen. Rose. Der- Derek Rose has been in the NBA for. I'm saying the length of you know top level okay. career is limited. Right? So you don't Am think. So you don't think that they. Oh, that I think they. Do it. I think for the reasons you mentioned, they may well do it because you know Simeon and. But you don't agree with it. I don't know that I think he belongs in the rafters, and I know this is a hard argument to have, but. Give me the give me the cons. Is it outside length of, of length career. Of, outside of outside of length of career? I mean, that's the only one. He just didn't do enough over the course of his career. I think when I look at you know when I think about an individual having his number you know being in the Raptors specifically for the Chicago Bulls, I think and and when talking about Derrick Rose, I think 
you know, changing the franchise and the trajectory of it and where it was to I, me, that know, was extremely important. You could argue that Joakim Noah had like a better Bulls career than Derrick Rose did. Yeah, defensive player of the year. I mean, just heart and soul of the team. Fifth in MVP voting one year, right? So the, do they put up a rafter with like Lou Aldang? No, Joking that's no. my my point is my point is it's not the very good. It, it's like the best ever, and I I think Derek was probably heading there before injury waylaid his career. So I think you know I just think it's some, something that yeah. you, you would have to. Um, I think even in his short career, he's still one of the best Bulls ever, and so in, in terms of what he did in his career. He's still at the in the Mount Rushmore of Bulls players, oh. even in that little period of time. Yeah, I, I can't go there at all. It's not a long enough career. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being yeah, honest I with get you. It. This, is a good, not, this is a good it's healthy not a debate. Long, well, I, I didn't come in here thinking we'd have that debate. <laughs> I just think that to have your number in the rafters, yeah. you know, that, that says something about who you are and what you accomplished. And, yeah. and I think that with Derek, unfortunately – it's just sort of a um, – it, it was – you know, you, you wanted him to get – you hoped that he would get – looked like he might. But, again, the injury, not only the injury, you know, kind of what happened after the injury where he had various members of his camp that were talking to the Bulls, and, and you never knew on a night-to-night basis when he was going to be able to play or where that decision was coming from. That's why they got – that's why they got rid of him. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, they just couldn't, they couldn't go on that way. And um, that, that is the truth of what happened. So, you know, I don't know. I, like, I don't know. I think it's a hard call. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not saying it won't someday happen, but a lot of things would have to soften, yeah. including the, the demands upon a player to, um, you know, to get there. Yeah, it's going to be a healthy discussion. I look at guys like Shaq, who just had his number or jersey retired by Orlando. Well, and he, he played four seasons with them. Yeah, you well, know, they so, drafted him. That's why. Yeah, the Bulls Bulls drafted. Derek I know, Gross. but I'm so, saying I think it's because and he was Shaq. He ended up winning all these titles. He got the Bulls past the. Uh, he got the uh, the Magic past the Bulls one year uh, when Michael was just coming back. Uh, so they probably that's probably as good as they've done. You know, I would not put Shaq in the rafters if I were Orlando. I think he probably deserves it from L.A., right? Because that's the team that yeah, LA, he won his titles with. Miami. Yeah, he won a title in Miami. Got a little D-Wade love over there. Do yeah. you feel Orlando probably just needed a – wasn't he the first? So yeah, they, just, they needed just needed a, jersey, a number. And he's yeah. probably the biggest name out of – That's what he is. And he, not, not just the biggest name <laughs> – in terms of size, because he's that, <laughs> but the biggest name in terms of star power, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're. I don't think they're retiring Nick Anderson's number anytime. No, Penny Hardaway. <laughs> yeah, saw Nick Penny. Anderson play in high school. I saw Nick Anderson play for Prosser High School. How about that? He went to Prosser. Nick Anderson went to Prosser for two years, and then he was at one of these All American camps, and he met Benji Wilson. And he wound up transferring to Simeon. And then he never played with Benji because Benji Wilson was murdered on the eve of his senior season. Benji Wilson oh was a, he, he was a kind of a 6'8 point guard. I saw him play. Not many people got that opportunity. And he was murdered um, after, I think, was he, a, was he, did they win the state title when he was a junior? 
and um, and then he was murdered on the eve of his senior season before the first game of the year. Wow. Yeah, it was awful. Just horrible. Shot outside the high school, outside of Simeon. Just a, an unbelievable story. And then Nick Anderson was the star of Simeon without the star he had gone sure. to play for. Yeah. What an incredible story. It was it was unbelievable. I knew he went to Illinois. I just didn't know he yeah, I didn't know his story. That's here how he started. And and I believe the coach's name was Gina Dino. Am I right about that? He was the coach of Prosser. He ended up kind of retiring after Nick Anderson left. Like you wait your whole career to, to coach get a player it. like that. <laughs> And then he goes someplace else. Yeah, uh, if you're if you're playing basketball on Fullerton and they, Central, you don't think you're going to get a guy like that. They all wore Benji Wilson's number. All those guys, all that. that because uh, that's who Derek Rose is always paying homage to, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because he was the number one player in the country going into his senior year at Simeon and was murdered before the season began. And and I mean, it wasn't just that he was murdered. They like. Got him. To, they did a documentary, a 30 for 30 on it. They got him to the wrong hospital. and oh, it, was no. just, it was a disaster. And we're at that point. And he died. Mully, were you, were you writing for the paper? I was. Or you I just... was covering. I was in college. I was covering high schools. And I was writing for the newspaper. So I would write, like, prep stories. I would go cover afternoon games uh, in the public league and then night games at various suburbs. And... Um, and then, you know, I would call in a story or write something about the game I'd been to. And then I started working in the office. And that's how I started out as a sports writer. Mm. So when I graduated, I just continued to do that until I eventually became the Bulls beat writer when I was like 26. Very young man. It's, it, high school sports are extremely exciting, especially for, so I can imagine you being there and you know, still being you know, edge of your seat mm. kind of stuff. Oh, on Saturday, publicly played over the rim. Right. I mean, I, it was unbelievable how talented some of these guys were that never went anywhere that you've never heard of, but were just unbelievable high school basketball players. And and um, and, and it's you know a lot of guys like it, it, a lot of guys would end up going you know to schools not in the city to schools you know like out west maybe or whatever. Right. Um, a lot of guys went to like New Mexico, New Mexico State. It just felt that way anyway. Why do you feel like Chicago was never able to? Well, DePaul kind of fell apart in their recruiting here. They could no longer get guys. They started going, you know, the, you had the great Flying Illini team, which was a lot of local kids. And then um, and they they were, you know, just sensational. And then you got to like, um, it just, it, it, you know, who, who was, was it Bill Self was there? He started, he had a yeah. nice tie in in Chicago and he started bringing guys to Kansas. I mean, it was like, there was just this, this kind of group of kids that weren't going to stay local anymore because they weren't necessarily being recruited or because all these other conferences were on TV and their friends could see them. So I think that it just it sort of became more of a national thing, you know. And we see it happen to this day, where the best players end up, you know, being found by the top schools. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, who's, you know, the guy with the Lakers, local kid, goes to this kind of obscure high school and winds up at Kentucky. You know, it, it's it's just unbelievable <laughs> how how uh, 
how you know the big time schools get the big time recruits. It's been going on forever. Yeah, and I think that. But DePaul used to get a lot of Chicago guys, and that kind of dried up as as things went south for DePaul. Yeah, DePaul's been struggling for a while. I think we forget here in Chicago that you know we do have some of the most talented players in the country. So when asking the question like, "Hey, why aren't these guys playing at UIC or Northwestern or you know DePaul as you mentioned?" It's because the programs aren't big enough. The guys are too talented. So instead of creating some sort of super team here in the city, they get an opportunity to go to Kansas and play at one of the best programs in the country and uh, get more eyes on them for the potential to go to the NBA. So, But it is something that people are, are, are always talking about, like the talent right, just leaves. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting is um, Loyola just won 20 games. I don't know if you follow the Ramblers. Well, they're having a really yeah. good year in the A-10 and they've got this freshman center out of Simeon named Miles Rubin, who, you know, is a raw player and needs to put on some muscle, tall, thin. But my God, I mean, you want to talk about a guy, he he's like like fifth in the country in blocking shots. He's just a phenomenal over the rim defender and a and a really good player. And it's you know, it's like how did he wind up at Loyola? You know, it's <laughs> unbelievable. They did a great job recruiting him. I think he's got a twin brother, and initially the two of them were going to go there. The, the brother, I apologize for not knowing his first name. He's at uh, Northern Iowa. Okay, I believe he's um, a red shirt there, so he's in the NBC. But his brother is playing great for Loyola, and it's one of the reasons the Ramblers are doing as well as they're doing um, in the A-10. They're tied for first place in the A-10. A couple big games this week, so keep an eye out for Loyola. They got, they got the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure, I want to say Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they play Friday at Loyola against Dayton, which is one of the biggest games of the year. They're saying that, I mean, they, they played George Mason. They beat him by 20, and um, they, they were phenomenal. They they just they they had eleven guys playing. Everybody contributed. I think they had ten different guys score. Uh, this was on uh, Sunday, right, or was it Saturday? Saturday, and um, and they won, and that's their twentieth win of the year. And they are twelve and two in the conference. They won four games in the conference a year ago, so they've turned. You know, they went from the MVC into the A-10, and they had, to adjust. had a really bad year, and now they've adjusted, and, and they got a couple of big-time recruits a couple of weeks ago. So they look like that program look, looks like it's in good shape. Yeah, Drew Valentine's doing a great job, great job. over there. Great I mean, job. he's really just really got a hold of that of that program. Yep. Miles Rubens, the freshman that yep. you're talking about, 6'10", 6'10", 205. Yeah. I think about that when because I, I weigh more than 205, uh-huh. and I'm nowhere near 6'10", Mully. Mm-hmm. And so it always throws me off when I do when I see yeah. a 6'10", 205, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. No, he's <laughs> tall and thin, but he's got a great body on him. And, you know, when he gets in the weight room, I think he's going to be a sensational talent. He's really he's really good in that league. He might be in the wrong league. Yeah. How, how deep do you think the uh, Ramblers can go this year? I don't know. I mean, I think they're the best team in the A-10 right now. I mean, again, they, you know, I, I hope they are peaking – but the performance they put on Saturday was unbelievable. That the, the George Mason had just beaten Dayton. It was like their biggest win in years for the program. And then they came to Loyola and just got crushed. 
the Ramblers were unbelievable. They played, they just played in waves of players. It was, you know, it was extraordinary. They went 11 deep. I'm not making that up. They really, and they didn't lose a lot when they were bringing guys in. I mean, it was really kind of extraordinary. They got, I think they have four guys in graduate school. Yeah, I just saw. You know, they picked up some guys who were, um, who were coming out of the Ivy League. And the, and the Ivy League does not allow a fifth year of eligibility and does not let That's you go to graduate school and play. So they come to Loyola because they have the, the law school, the business school, the, the um, medical school, and they can get a year of graduate school in their fifth year. And, and you know, they've been – that's helped a ton. Um, they've got a couple of guys that have transferred in, got this really nice player leading them in scoring as a wing player. Good player. Yeah, they got Six a – Six-five transfer from Davidson. A couple games left. I think Watson, is that right? Desi so Watson. many so many players that – or excuse me, so many graduate students. They might have some guys on here that are married with children. <laughs> It might be. They're not that bad. It's not that old, but no. I mean, they got. I mean, Gray's you know, coming in. Ivy League guys, get out of here! Come on, Bring it's gonna in. it's gonna raise the the uh, GPA, GPA on that team. Exactly. Hey, have you got anybody struggling? Go see. Uh, go see Matt. He's gonna tutor you. Yeah. After practice, pretty good. Gonna, can you help him write his papers, hey, Professor? Why don't you help me? But they have. You know, I think it's Braden Norris. He was a red shirt when they were in the Final Four. That was like six years ago. That was a while ago. Yeah, and um, and he's still there. He he's on his fifth year. He's the starting point guard. Um, so he's in graduate school too. You know, it's it's a good it's a good it's a good group. Yeah, they're gonna be at least you know we will be represented in the tournament. That's the good thing. Well, that'd be, hopefully, well Illinois obviously would be in the tournament. Illinois, Loyola, hopefully Northwestern. Loyola. Northwestern could easily be in the tournament. They're having a great I think year. They should. Yeah, I think you. I think they will. Live three. DePaul. No, just like no. DePaul is. <laughs> no, oh, no, what's gonna happen with them? All right, we got tons to get to. Big night at the stadium. The Bulls win a game. The uh, the return of of Cody Bellinger. For God's sake, let's not bury the lead. The Cubs are ready to start the season now, which is uh, is good news. And we'll get into all of it. We'll pick it all apart. We got the pick six next. It's Mully and Haw. We've got Gabe Ramirez here on this. It's pick six with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick six with Mully and Haw starts now. All right, guys, what do you make of Cody Bellinger's return to the Cubs on a three-year, $80 million deal? Do you consider it a one-year, $30 million deal? Will there be any regression in his numbers, or does the short-term deal ensure top effort? Yeah, it's a one-year deal. I mean, he got he has opt-outs after each of the first two years. I, I got to tell you, I think it's an extraordinary deal. I know they've never paid anyone $30 million for a season before, but this is a best-case scenario, in my opinion, for the Cubs. Because you get this guy, you get him highly motivated because he wants to get back on the free agent market as fast as possible. And um, and you also have a guy in Pete Crow Armstrong that you're developing into that position, and it buys you more time to do so. And who knows? Maybe he stays here for the length of the contract. We'll, we'll see. I think it's 30, 30, 20, 
or 25 in the last year, something like that, 20, I guess. Um, but uh, it's a really good deal for the Cubs. They should feel great about it. They held their water. They didn't outbid themselves. It was the obvious place for him to go. And you got him on a short-term deal, which is ideal, in my opinion. All right. When I was waking up on Sunday, yeah. I was the mindset for me was like getting ready for this Chelio special. And I woke up, and the first thing I saw was Bellinger, three years, $80 million. And I was like, it's a good deal. And then I realized, I was like, oh, there's opt-outs. And then I was like, okay, so it's a one-year deal. Right. Which is still like, I was like, okay, you know, that's still okay. Like, I think... That was the pushback between Jed Hoyer and Bellinger. That's what we've been hearing. Like the terms of the the money was one, like the 25, we don't want to go above 25 million. I don't know if we want this many years right now. So I, a one-year deal to me is great overall. Now I just want to see them go all in. But with that being said, will his numbers regress? I mean, time would tell with that. One-year deal is a prove-it deal. It's kind of like what he did before. So I expect the same type of production from Cody Bellinger this year. Was it a great deal for both parties? Absolutely. I think everyone can agree on that. Cody gets his money. Cubs get their man. Do I consider it a one-year $30 million deal? No. The reason why, I'll explain in my third part of the answer. But no one's going to give Cody Bellinger $30 million next year either. So he's going to opt in. So this is most certainly going to be a two-year at the very minimum deal. And then, you know, that $20 million on the back end is probably when he most certainly will opt out to get more money. And the reason why is because there will be a regression when it comes to Cody Bellinger's numbers. Take a look. Last year, highest batting average of his career, highest stolen bases, second uh, highest on-base percentage, third highest slugging, third highest OPS, second highest in runs, second highest in hits, second highest in doubles, third highest in home runs, second highest in RBIs. Outside of a shortened COVID season, he had the fewest strikeouts of his career. So these are all high marks last year. And if people thought he was going to duplicate that, he would have got way more money. But the fact that there was a discussion is because there was fear of some sort of regression. And even if it's a, a, a small regression to the mean, it's still worth the money that you're giving Cody Bellinger as he shores up the middle of your lineup. And, and we should mention, he was scheduled to make $25 million on his contract that he got out of. So he gets a $5 million raise for the one year. An earned so that Yeah, raise. so that works out. But he did earn it over the course of his Agreed. season last year. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is, a, this is a, a question I struggle with. Is the Cubs roster now complete now that Bellinger has signed? What are the implications from a roster standpoint? Who will be most impacted? I don't think anyone in the Cubs front office thinks that this roster is complete, but something happened to me yesterday. You know, I realized, you know, Mully, you know I'm a Sox fan. I got my Sox hoodie on. Yeah. But I've, I've, I've come to, to grow to like this Cubs team in the last couple of years, and I've tried to figure out why, and I thought it was because of the, the hard-playing nature of the guys. But then I realized... I'm, I'm a fan of the front office. I'm a fan of what they've been doing for their team over the last couple of years, including this move. So I know and I have confidence in them that they themselves think, hey, we're not done. We have more moves to make. So no, the roster is not complete. Who's going to be the most impacted with this signing in particular? I think it's PCA. I think that, you know, he had free reign at center field had Cody Bellinger not been there. Cody Bellinger coming back, he's going to play a handful of games there. Maybe that's a great thing for PCA. Uh, but I think he's going to be the guy that becomes most impacted, and Michael Bush, for that matter. I mean, no, their roster is not complete right now. I mean, it, to me, it, it, it it's cool. It feels like it's the same roster as last year, and what did that get you? 
You mm. just missed the playoffs. So that's one thing. I mean, they didn't make they made a minor league deal. They got a uh, Garrett Cooper. There's there's somebody that you know, if you like that. But at the same time, I I feel like with this, you you need more. If you got Cody Bellinger on a one year deal, I feel like this is the time to like go all in. Try to get Chapman. Try to get Jordan Montgomery. Just one year deals. Let's just try to do that for all Scott Boris type clients. Let's see if that works. With that being said, I just feel like the person who's most impacted piggyback off gay is PCA and you you saw how he was playing at the end of the season I mean he, he couldn't even really get a hit he runs he plays great defense he, he's extremely fast he can steal a lot of bases but we we need more power for the Cubs and Bellinger's a start so I just feel like you, you need to add more to that um I think PCA has to go to the minor leagues I mean he needs at bats mm. he needs to play every day I think this means he's in Iowa I'll be curious, Toutman is the backup center fielder now, and then occasionally if Belly's playing first base, then you have him in center field. Who's going to be the next? They'll probably keep five outfielders, right? Do you keep Canario, or are you running into the same issue of at-bats? And how many at-bats can you get them, and do guys... You know, PCA needs more at-bats at the minor league level. This allows him... This takes a lot of the pressure off him. It allows him to go to Iowa and to develop um, as, you know, you just need more at-bats. But it's funny you mentioned Chapman because the the word is that they're they're done and they can't afford Chapman. Now, I I read somewhere that they are still, even with this deal, about $30 below the tax. So they could go get Chapman if they were so inclined Maybe they're not inclined. You know, maybe they want to see what Morell can do at third base because it, it does feel like a tryout, right? I mean, it does feel like a tryout. Um, and same thing with Michael Bush at first base. It seems like they made a trade and they got a guy and he might be able to do it and we'll see. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you want to get more veteran help. They signed a couple guys to minor league deals. Do they fit in now? Are they gone? Because they seemed like insurance policies, and now Bellinger is back. It, I, I'll be really curious. You know, he's got to pass the physical, right? Did he take it yesterday? So once that happens, then they put him on the roster. Then they got to make a move. Someone's off the forty man, right? So we'll see who that is, and um, could be no big deal. But they also are. Prob- it probably impacts guys that. Young guys that hope to get playing like Matt Mervis. Year. Like, well, Matt Mervis. That's a guy who, who a I feel guy like could be impacted. That's a very good point because because Bush is ahead of him and he was sitting there waiting and now maybe you don't need him. <laughs> that's a big question. What does the signing of Cody Bellinger to a short term deal mean for Major League Baseball? Will the rest of Scott Boris's clients end up signing short deals? Why did so few guys outside of the international market not get big deals? It's fascinating to look at, you know, obviously the international market, you know, you, you gave $325 million to a pitcher who's never pitched in MLB <laughs> coming from Japan. You gave $700 million to the best player in baseball, although he won't be able to pitch and, and is only a DH, won't be able to play uh, center field this year. But that's a 10-year deal, and, and you're looking down the line on that one. Um, but... 
I think we all felt when these deals started going that there were going to be a ton of, you know, I, I think Bellinger thought he was going to get 225, 225 million, and he settles for a one year deal at 30. So I guess if he had a 10 year deal, it would be. Uh, a, a $300 million deal. But but the short-term solution worked well for Bellinger because he's 28 years old. It would work well for Jordan Montgomery. I don't know. I don't know if Snell wants something like that. He supposedly is close with the Yankees, but the Yankees haven't moved yet because they are, they are of the belief they would rather have Dylan Cease. Yeah. And they are of the belief that they're close to a deal, the holdup being there's – a minor league outf- outfielder that the Sox are um, insisting is included in the deal, and that's a breaking point for them. So until they sign Snell, there's still a possibility that they're more interested in Dylan C. So you can hold your breath on that one a little bit. I think it's also different with pitchers. Like, don't they need to get into camp fairly early? You know, you have to use spring training to gear up as a pitcher. You need a few weeks before you – really are ready to start throwing hard. So I'll be curious to see how that works. Chapman, it looks like a short-term deal. It just does, it doesn't look like anyone's going to pay him. And I don't know who's, who's left to pay him right now, but they're not lining up for these guys because no one wants to give away $200 million. Heyman said it last week. The money was drying up at this point, so it makes sense. Like, all the big money started earlier in the MLB, like, free agency period. I think this is the wave, too. I don't think we're going to be seeing too many of these 10-year, 12-year type contracts anymore. They don't age well. I think we're going to start seeing probably at most, maybe like eight years, maybe you're, six years. You're right. That's what I think that's going to be what the wave is. I mean, pitchers don't do well in that. And I think these owners are kind of getting a little bit tired of Scott Boris. I think he has a lot of clients, but at the same time, him talking, and I think like you heard Ricketts. I, I didn't really talk to Boris. I don't really, I don't, I don't talk to him. I'm just gonna let the, my GM take care of that. And I think a lot of owners are feeling that way. And I think the money dries up, and then he's like, hey, "Look, we'll give you these one-year prove-it deals or the same type of deal that's like Belly's happening." I'm surprised to see what Chapman's gonna get down the line, and what like Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, like those clients are gonna get from uh, MLB. I think something to point out that's very interesting with the pitchers that still remain, they're both 31, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell. It's a damning age for a pitcher, and and especially to be able to come up in free agency. At that point, it's tough because no one wants to give you money. Brandon, you pointed it out. I talked to Bob Nightingale on Friday, and he said the exact same thing, right? Teams spent their money at the very beginning, and then teams like the Rangers, the Blue Jays, not getting Shohei Otani, they just clamped up the wall that didn't want to spend. I think some other interesting components is – Major League Baseball teams are allowing younger players to come into the league sooner, right? And what does that do? A supply-demand issue. You have more talented players, less of a, of, a, of a need to go get these $200 million guys. But that was a precedent set even just last year, right? Aaron Judge getting 360. You get Trey Turner getting the 300. Xander Bogart's 280. Dansby Swanson, 177. Carlos Correa having a myriad of offers from multiple different teams. It just doesn't happen like that every offseason. Every offseason, there isn't six, seven teams trying to vie for the top talents, and I think that's what we saw this year. Shohei was the prize, and once he was had, no one wanted to break the bank anymore. It's a good question. What was the greatest moment at the United Center yesterday? The Chris Chelios jersey retirement, Patrick Kane's return, or the actual Red Wings uh, at Blackhawks game? 
It might have been the hit that Bedard put on Kaner. That was a nice one. I wasn't expecting that one. That might have been one of my favorite moments of the night. Or maybe, as we mentioned a second ago, Cindy Crawford draining that shoot the puck. That was wild. <laughs> I can't believe she made that. Um, but it has to be Kaner. It has to be the ovation. When he comes out initially, there's this smirk on his face of joy. I think every player wants to be loved by a team, by especially the one that they won championships with. And so for Kaner to come back, feel the love initially and see the smirk skate out, that was great. The second time he skates out, it was more embarrassment, but a smirk still kind of flowed through because he said, damn, this is crazy. And then when the third one happened, when, when the cheers continued into minute number two and Patrick Kane could do nothing else but just embrace it and soak it in, smile the biggest smile you'd seen him do in the last two minutes and take that third little go round. It just, it gave you goosebumps. It felt good. It brought back all the good memories from before. And obviously Chelios was a huge moment. But for me, a little bit younger Kaner, that thing was incredible, that standing ovation. I mean, the Kane thing was, it was, couldn't have been scripted any better. I mean, the fact that the Blackhawks got showtimed and overtime, I, I just <laughs> thought that was cold. I mean, so the only thing that could have made that game better, I would like to see a Bedard goal. That would have been kind of cool if he would have scored in there as well. But I'm going to be biased because of my Mount Carmel loyalties. I'm going to go with Chris Chelios. I loved his whole speech. Yeah, my favorite part I love when he came out in the Lincoln. I love that he gave Dennis Rodman some love. I love that he took a little slight little dig at Kane, but also gave him some, some kudos on top of that. So I'm going to give it to Chelios in this. That, would, to me, was the greatest moment. Um, the whole thing, I, I, it, it was extraordinary how one thing bled into the next and into the next, and then, and then the ending of it was, you know, elegiac. You know, it was just this. There was, there was like just a hint of sadness for the great former player scoring against his old team, and everybody kind of going crazy. There, there were just so many. So many great words that that really you know jump to your mind to describe what was you know this it was poetic. I mean, it was just this extraordinary iambic moment in time where there was this beautiful rhythm to the day with with Chris and his speech and him going in and Kaner acknowledged. And then the game starting, and then the video tribute, and Kaner acknowledged, and the game going on, and Bedard scores a goal. I thought what Kane said about Bedard was beautiful. He talked about how when he was uh, when he was a you know it, that uh, Patrick Sharp used to say to him that you know you are to the manner born, you are spoon fed because you were a number one pick, and he used to say to Patrick Sharp. It's a pity you didn't work harder when you were a kid. <laughs> and, and they used to have a laugh about it. And he said that of, of Bedard, that this is clearly a guy that, like Kaner, you know, a number one pays, worked for it. And then he scores a goal. And then, you know, you get a goal to tie the game from 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 Cat to Brinkett. And then you get the Kaner goal in overtime, and you know you're in the United Center where they're chanting Detroit Sox at different points, <laughs> and and then they're cheering Patrick Kane for his accomplishment. There, there, like it was it was beautiful 
because there was, it was rhythmic, but it was also just this like hint of sadness to the whole thing, right? You know, the the aging of the player and now the acknowledgement of your life. And then here's three Patrick generations. Kate, You'll be up here soon. And I mean, it was, it was bloody beautiful, man. If you if you have a soul. <laughs> oh, my God. What a day. I feel like I get this question a lot. The NFL hits Indianapolis for the annual scouting combine this week. Do you expect to get clarity on the Bears quarterback plan? Will Justin Fields officially be on the trading block? Do the Bears plan on drafting Caleb Williams? Could there be a big surprise, i.e. trade down or another quarterback emerging over Williams? That's the beauty of the scouting combine. All this stuff. You know, do I expect clarity on the Bears quarterback plan? No. I expect a ton of rumors. I expect to hear everything that's going on. You know, the thing about the scouting combine, you get a chance to interview these guys, you get a chance to talk to them. But I think I think J.J. McCarthy, uh, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix are all planning on throwing. But, um, you know, Caleb Williams will throw at his pro day. And Jaden Daniels, the guy that – that uh, at least our buddy from our lads believes could possibly get past Caleb. He will throw on his pro day. So I I would be really surprised if you had enough information to make a, a declarative statement as to who is the best quarterback coming out of the combine. Um, you know, you, you would know that from watching tape already. I don't know that you're going to see somebody – put on a show to the point where now they're ahead of uh, of, of Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels, whatever way you want to line them up. But, you know, the the uh, the Fields thing's really interesting. They say they'll have a plan in place. I would be very surprised if they tell us what that plan is. And I do think that there are a lot of twists and turns in this thing. I I. I believe, personally, the Bears will eventually draft Caleb Williams, and that will be the end of it. But I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of one-way streets and dark turns, and you can get lost <laughs> in the process, and there's, there's so much left before we get to that point. I'm with you, Mully. I think we're going to hear a lot of reports. A lot of teams might be interested now in more teams that we haven't heard, probably interested in Justin Fields. But the one thing that I'm intrigued with is when Caleb Williams is going to meet with the Bears. Yes. They're going to talk. So that's going to be a little more clarity. Those rumors and reports, do Caleb want to come to the Bears? Now, we saw little things here and there, but then they'll hear it from him. So I think it's going to be a little bit more clarity probably on the plan. They're not going to say anything, but I think we're going to get a little bit more of understanding after the combine. When I look at this question, I think to myself, obviously we're in unison here saying that, you know, there's going to be no clarity at the end of this thing uh, at the quarterback plan. Will Justin Fields officially be on the trading block? I think he is already. I think people are fielding calls. I would love to talk to a GM to get more insight as to, like, how the courting of Justin or the first pick works. Like, are... Is it has a G like I'm trying to in my mind trying to imagine if a GM has already called Ryan Poles and said, Hey, like how does that even work? That call? Is it a all right, I got a second round pick for you. Tell me what you think. 
Or is it, you know, what do you want? Like, I wish I knew what that information was more like, because then it'll give me a better idea as to how many conversations Ryan Poles has had about Justin Fields with other teams. Do the Bears plan on drafting Caleb Williams? I mean, the the thing that bums me the most is that if you do draft Caleb Williams, then there's no there's no draft compensation that comes with it, right? It's just Caleb Williams. And that's fine. You know, if that's what Ryan Poles thinks is the best thing to do, it's just that would sting a little bit. That It's just Caleb Williams and nothing else. But maybe it'll be worth it in the very end. Um, will there be a surprise as, as, a, as in a trade down or another QB emerging? The trade down that I'm anticipating is the one from nine to whatever that is. I think the Bears have a, a good grasp of players that are in that area. And I'm sure they feel like some of them are going to be able to get the same grade. So that, that's maybe where the draft compensation comes from. Um, another quarterback emerging over Williams. Did you guys see that Drake May dot that he threw? They hit the crossbar from 80 yards away. Not that I'm trying to say that Drake May is amazing, but I'm just saying, you know, things like that get you, do it. get you drafted early. Hey, <laughs> you could say don't do it. You could say don't do it. But when he's a stud, I just want all my cuts that I said saying to draft Drake May to pop up on this station so that that way I can say that, that I was right. I'll take your questions. I don't have, I don't have much to say about this. All right, the White Sox have joined the Matt Eberflus-like acronym game talking about playing fast, both in the acronym and running the bases. How do you explain catcher Martin Maldonado dogging it to first base in the spring training opener? Do you believe that Pedro Grafal addressed it with him as the broadcast team said in game two? I think he did because he talked about it after the game. But the difference between Martin Maldonado and last year's White Sox team is Maldonado's answer to what happened. He said, quote, I didn't come out of the box the way I should have come out of the box. I want to lead by example. I feel like as a team or as a person, we should have exactly the same mentality. If I want to get somebody accountable on their own, I have to be accountable to myself first. Night and day from last year, where no players seemed to come out and say things like this in the event that they did something wrong. They would say, yeah, I got to do better. But it was nothing like, my team should play this way, and if I want them to play this way and I want to hold them accountable, then I need to be held to the same standard and I need to do these things. To me, that said a lot. And I loved another thing that Pedro Grafal said. He said, when a reporter asked him about, you know, Maldonado running, he said, isn't like, basically, isn't that what you're coming to the stadium to see? Guys to play hard, to beat out throws, to give their best effort. That's what you are paying to see from this team. And damn it, that's what we're going to get. And so for me, all those things kind of played in well. I don't know. I might be back in on the White Sox. 64 wins might be the victory total this year. I don't know. Oh, my God, Gabe. <laughs> That's even too high. Like, I, I'm sorry. I mean, I want to know who talked first. Was it Grifo? I know Grifo talked to him. I know that had to happen because of his postgame response. And that's the right thing to say. Because you don't want to be out there looking bad. They just signed you. You're looking bad. Then you're going to end up like Grandal later next season. So that makes sense. He's pr He got to prove it to himself. So that makes sense. And then this whole fast concept, of course, Pedro Grifo is going to have to talk to everyone about that. Because it's, if people are out there dogging it to first base and stuff like that, you know what they're going to go right to? This was, I thought, what happened to the fast? What, what happened to the fast? What happened to that? So it makes sense. I I I thought Pedro Grifol should never said that because now if they dog it, they're just going to point right there at Grifol the whole time. So you, you better hope these players get on board. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, it was so disappointing uh, just watching the game, the first game, 
Jesse Chavez gave up six runs to the Cubs in the first inning. <laughs> uh, it, I, I watched both games because I wanted to see John Schifrin, the new broadcaster. I just wanted to get a. Feel How do you think for he him. did? I thought he did fine. I had no problem with him whatsoever. Um, I had a buddy who texted me who we were watching the game, and he said, he said basically, he's excited. I get it. It's it's an early game, but. Sox will beat that out of him, which I thought was very funny by the end of the year. I mean, he was very upbeat and very excited, and uh, and there was a lot of uh, of Stoney um, in both those broadcasts, so it was great. I, I like hearing a lot of Stoney, so I thought it was uh, I thought it was neat and good. Um, we'll we'll see, right? I, I don't, you know, I think he's, you know. Jason would offer kind of a different viewpoint, a lot of analytics. He doesn't seem to be bogged down by that. He he didn't make a lot of cheesy jokes, uh, which Jason loved to do. It was it was a different kind of broadcast. But what did you think of it? Did you like it? Yeah, I mean, like anything any anything in media, you just can't judge someone by their no, first couple games. No, you got to give it them fun. a bunch. I think yeah. he's going to be professional. Brandon, what do you think? Same. Uh, same, same as yeah. we gave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. Um, it, it was, um, but Maldonado, getting back to this question, <laughs> he's supposedly some leader. Now, he's already the slowest guy in baseball. So you hit one back to Wicks, and you don't even bother coming out. It's a terrible, you know you're out. You don't even bother running. Wicks misplays the ball. Now it's like, uh-oh, I'm a third of the way to first base, so he gets on his horse a little bit, and mercifully, Wicks misplays the ball again. Kind of just throws it out of bounds. He was, you're getting on first base whether you like it or not. <laughs> they said Maldonado addressed the team and apologized for it, and they said that um, that uh, Pedro talked to him about it. You can't have that from a veteran guy. You just can't have it. And you know what else? You can't throw to second base and start arguing about the call and let the guy go to third. <laughs> right, that, that can so happen. So I, I, I don't know what to make of the machete, but, you know, if you're looking at the first few games, not so good. All right, there you go. 312-644-6767. We're going to get to your calls eventually here. We have the extra point next. It's Mully and Haw with Gabe Ramirez here on the screen. Set up this extra point. It's time for the Extra Point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. How disappointed are you to see that Patrick Williams will need season-ending foot surgery as he enters his restricted free agency? I would love to continue to be a bull. I think I love it here. I love you know, the, the opportunity that we have to build culture, to build something special um, with this group, with this team. And I think that I could you know, really be a cornerstone piece for this team. Cornerstone piece for this team. I'm sorry. Did that not just jump? I mean, that that he said that, right? You know, you just you sit there and you, if you were drinking something as he was telling you that, you'd have the spit take. Um, no. No, he's not a cornerstone piece for this team. I feel bad. I was hoping he'd have a better year this year. We'd have more clarity on who he is as a player. And it's it's tough that now he's out for the year, because what do you do with him? He says he wants to stay. What do you do with Patrick Williams? Total dilemma. Presumably, you got to move on from this group in some fashion, right? 
and he's young, and that's still what it, you know. That's still the best thing he's got going for him. But is he? Is he a? I was going to say, is he a building block, like one of many bricks you'd put up on a wall? He's definitely not a cornerstone. He's not. I mean, he's apparently he's self-deluded. A middle stone, not a corner. <laughs> well, he's just a stone. A stone, just he's a just stone. He's just one of the many stones that you need, but not the one that is holding the damn thing together. No. No. At, that was the part. I, I said it to Alex when I even had this clip ready to go. I was like, cornerstone? Patrick Williams, cornerstone? <laughs> that was the part that got me. I'm, yeah. It sucks a little bit because he's always hurt. It's like yeah. you're about to see the potential. Look like he just needs some more games. Things was getting going for him with him and Kobe White a little bit when Zach was uh, out. And then next thing you know, he's injured again. And and that's the thing. It's like, what do you pay him? And I remember those early reports of like he was – then he mm-hmm. weren't like tw- – didn't he want like 20, 30 million, like almost a season one time? I saw those reports. I think KC talked about it before the season even started. It was like early. I'm like, are we, are we serious? Patrick Williams? But like, he's a good defender. I mean, just see what team's going to pay him and see if you want to match it or not. But maybe AK feels that, you know, I, I need to keep it going with Patrick Williams because he's my first pick that I had since I was with the Bulls. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to do with Patrick Williams. Extremely disappointed that Patrick Williams needed season-ending foot surgery. Another year where you don't get to see him develop. Another year where you now have to play the what-if game with Patrick Williams. And I'm tired of it. And it's nothing to do with Pat Will. It's just more so the lack of productivity. I think Patrick Williams, if the Bulls are to keep him on this team, he needs to be a bona fide role player. No more, No more experiments in the starting lineup. No more filling for someone when they're hurt. No, sir. You are on the bench, and if you can get me seven points and eight rebounds, then that'll be fine. The issue is just that. Patrick Williams has averaged less rebounds every year he's been in the league. And it's not much to begin with. 4.6 is rookie year, 4-1, A man that big and so powerful should be averaging more rebounds than that. I think that's, what's hurt, that, that's what hurts his game. Points per game is just 9 and 10. That's it. 9, 9, 10, 10 for the last four years. So it is it is very disappointing because we haven't seen much from him. He's just not confident enough, not aggressive enough, and doesn't shoot the ball consistently enough to, to be a difference maker on this team, which most people thought he would be. Sad. The crazy thing, though, I would say this. Like, if he was on a horrible team, though, like a really bad team, like the Bulls are bad, but I'm talking about, like, Washington Wizards, Detroit Pistons bad. I feel like – he might be decent. He, he might be. Brandon, he might be good. He Brandon, might he'd like, be too passive. That's his problem. He is passive. He, you, but when you, you what I'm average, saying is with the Bulls, when, when, when Demar and Zach no. and Vucevic was and, out, and he's yes. in, he was the one that was scoring those points. And, he was giving you 28, uh, like 2018 points. And I, I hear that. I hear that with those two guys being out. But I think if you put him on the Wizards, he's going to default to a Kyle Kuzma. He's gonna he's gonna gross. allow them. To, it is gross, but that's just the kind of player he is. He's not a guy that's gonna come down and put up 17, 18 shots a game. He's just not gonna do it, and that's the biggest problem with with Pat Will. I don't know if it's how he came in the league or right. whatever it was, or just but his personality or his personality. He's just not the aggressive alpha that he needs to be when people were calling him the baby claw. He's gonna give everyone the, their flowers. That's a reference to the <laughs> high school job. Just. Delivery. Uh, all right. 
Three one two. You can't average I, one free throw a game. You know what? The, the thing is, the only hope the Bulls had this year is that this guy was going to come back and have sort of the Kobe bump, right? Yes. In the back of your mind, you kind of, well, you know, maybe this guy can become a player somehow in the final X number of games because there's so much riding on it. And instead, he's out for the year. I uh, I treat it like, like college. Like it probably takes you – Unless you're a superstar, like you got it in you, probably takes you about like four years to really like get it going. Like example, a, Kobe White, yeah. And now Patrick is just injuries; it's hurting him. Yeah, no, it's, the injuries are killing him. And I, I mean, if you're getting rid of guys, why would you keep? It's because he's young, and you drafted him. That's about all he's got going for him. Frankly, you have no resolution as to whether or not he can play. Thanks to this latest injury. In 43, Molly, in 43 games, he's only scored 20 points four times. Yeah. It's just not good he's, enough. Yeah, he's not good he, enough. And then you got Tyrese Halliburton at the All-Star yeah. game going crazy. You drafted That's, the wrong guy. You drafted the wrong guy. I think no Tyrese question. Maxey was in that draft, too. Desmond Bain. Yep. I mean, those three guys, guard plays with Oops. the Bulls knee right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 312-644-6767. Were you out there yesterday? Were you at the United Center how great was that day for the Chicago uh, Blackhawks? Did you appreciate Chelly's speech? Watched on TV, thought it was awesome. You know, I love the local guys made good, and, and he's certainly one of those. And back in town, it's wonderful to see. It's Mully and Haw, Gabe Ramirez here, Chicago Sports Radio, 6 7 in the score. Rebound save. Oh, look out. To break it, ahead for guess who? Patrick Kane, he's in, he scores! Patrick Kane, on the ice he used to call home for 16 seasons. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score, Patrick Kane. Best Hawks player ever. Is that what we were discussing last week? And uh, Eddie Olchek said that. I, I guess you couldn't really argue with it, right? All you simply have to do is just go back to the playoffs. Yeah. Where you saw Kane. Big Kaner, goals. And big yeah. goals coming no through. No question. You know, even the years where he didn't, they, yep. they didn't win, he was Cup putting up big goals. numbers. Yeah. yeah just... You know what's funny is, like, I didn't see any mention of Jonathan Taves yesterday. And, I, I, mm. I mean, that's okay. You don't. You know, he and Kane aren't, you know, linked at the hip or anything. We just think of them as two young guys that came up together. But, like, Hosa was there, and he's with Patrick Sharp and Brent Seabrook and Duncan Keith, and you're looking at that generation of Hawks, and then there's the whole uh, earlier generation of Blackhawks. And it was just odd that that his name, for whatever reason, never really came up. Um, you know, I, I don't know why it would, but it was just a little bit strange that uh, no one ever mentioned Jonathan Taves because he was the captain. You know, he, I mean, you know, Kane was the goal scorer and Kane is this great player and probably able to play a lot longer than Jonathan Taves because he didn't use himself up in the same way. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, even those series against Vancouver that got kind of ugly, no one was able to take a run at Kane. He, he was just not a guy that took tons of hits, whereas, like, Taser 
if you needed someone to stand in front of goal, he was willing to do it. He he would fill in whatever was missing on the team to his detriment, in my opinion. And um, I I think he's a great player. I just thought, you know, because of not only was he a, like a really good hockey player, but because of the role of captain and the way that he kind of kept everyone in check and kept everyone, you know, like him, captain serious. Uh, it was just interesting. I mean, I, I, I know it had nothing to do with Jonathan Taves, but I just it was just weird that no one ever really seemed to mention him for whatever reason. Yeah, 15 years, you know, with, with squad, you would think, you know, there'd be some sort of mentions. But, you know, Mully, as he announced last year when he wanted to take some time away from yes. from hockey, maybe maybe that had to do with it where, you know, the guys yeah. understand that information and they're like, hey, you know what, I don't even want to bring his name up so that that way okay. he doesn't get any mentions or tweets or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, it was just like a great night for the Blackhawks. Um, it's weird. Like, Kane is two teams removed from the Blackhawks, and he's on, you know, the hated Red Wings. <laughs> Traditional rival used to be in the same division, and that's dissipated quite a bit. But just, you know, for for Chris Chelios to have his number retired and to have Detroit as the team that's there, given that's where he went when he left here, <laughs> and, you know, obviously – to have Patrick Kane now playing for the Red Wings, you know, with the Brinkett. I I think that you can't help at different points. I know they're completely rebuilding their team. And I did read The Athletic yesterday, and they had them as the, I think he had them as the seventh best minor league system. And he broke down various players and how they'll fit in. And there were tiers to where those players are. And they got a, a couple of guys um, in in Moore and and uh, Noser who are on their way up and could be really good NHL players. They're going to have a, a high pick this year, a top five pick. The the best player, I guess, is that uh, is it Macklin Cellini? Is that the guy's name? Celebrini. Celebrini. Macklin Celebrini, who's a 17 year old freshman at Boston University. Isn't that crazy? That he's he's only seventeen right now. He hasn't turned eighteen yet. He kind of has that Taves swag to him too, where he fills in a lot of different roles. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So that's the that's the big prize. Be nice to add him to Connor Batard, right? I mean, it's looking good right now. Yeah, <laughs> where the where the Blackhawks are yeah. currently sitting. They, they do. It looks good where they're sitting. They, yeah. Don't don't they have two first round picks this year? I believe they they uh, have an extra one later on. So they'll. They will continue to get a lot of players, and they've got a lot of picks. I think they got two number ones the next two years. Is that right? Wow, I didn't. I yeah, they got a lot of picks. Check that out, Alex Kuhn and Brandon. That'll be a good one. I I, I think the Blackhawks in the situation that they're right now. I mean, obviously getting Bedard back was big a, couple, a week ago. But I mean, like when you're trying to think, you know, what are you trying to establish in the present with this team, right? I mean. You're trying to figure out who's going to be on the squad. It's not like they're tearing something down. But the Blackhawks have a, have a long way to go, Mully. This isn't something that, you know, a lot of people thought with Bedard being on the team that they were going to vie for a playoff spot or could potentially, you know, Bedard obviously missing some time, you know, hurt. But, I mean, even still, there's just – there's such a huge gap between, you know, the Blackhawks and, and whoever and, – and teams that are at the top like Vancouver and such. 
Oh, I mean, the Hawks are so far away. That's what I'm saying. From contention, it's beyond human comprehension. I totally agree <laughs> with you. They got one player. I mean, they got, right, right. They got a very great young guy that you want to watch, and it's fun to see, but that's not a hockey team. And, um, you know, they're going to have to – you're going to have to figure out who they are and what they have, and I'm talking about in, like, three years. They're not going to be much better next year. Um, the year after that, maybe – they start loading up with some of these young guys, and then you figure out what you need and how you get better and who you got to bring in to play with them, and they'll have a lot of pieces in the minor league system if they want to make deals, et cetera. So that's what a rebuild is. Um, really going to be interesting to see. 312-644-6767. Let's squeeze in Carter. He's in Naperville. Hey, Carter. Hey, guys, how you doing? Good. Good. Hey, let's start from the beginning when Kaner was on the Hawks. That team was a dynasty. Those three cups that they got, that that was an unreal stretch. And then, honestly, for Kaner, too, to close it out the way he did last night, you know, I, I've never been happier in a loss. Thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was a great moment for him, and it was a great moment at the United Center, but – you know, not a great moment for the Blackhawks, but there haven't been a lot of them this year. So it's, you can't get upset about it. Yeah, taking the early lead, you thought, hey, man, you know, yeah, this might be a great one. night. <laughs> yep, no, no doubt about it. But, um, yeah, I, do, I don't know I don't know what they have beyond Counter Bedard. <laughs> I mean, right now. And they got a couple of young guys and, you know, Kaczynski and um, Flasic, local guy made good, but no. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. It's Mully and Hall. We've got Gabe Ramirez on Chicago Sports Radio six seven. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the twelve precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We kind of always felt like that in a way, but yeah, Belly was a unique situation. So he's he's part of this club, you know, he's one of us. And it, there was a little void in here for sure before he came back. So just seeing him in here, man, getting a hug, smiling. I know he'll be back to work soon. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 of the score. We got Gabe Ramirez in this morning for David. And we're talking about uh, the aforementioned man. You heard uh, Kyle Hendricks, the professor, saying that uh, great to have Belly back. Cody Bellinger returning to the Cubs on the, you know, again, it's a three-year, $80 million deal. It's really a one-year $30 million deal given the opt-out after the first year and an opt-out after the second year. So maybe it's a two-year $60 million deal. I doubt it's a three-year $80 million deal. I think that if he plays well enough, they'll go back and figure that out. And if he doesn't, I don't know that uh, that he'll be here taking on that uh, $20 million when he's 40 or, excuse me, 30 years old. He's 28 now. And he just signed a three-year deal. Again, opt-outs early, um, essentially a one-year deal. It's it's kind of interesting because you look at their team and you say, okay, you know, Marcus Stroman is gone from last year's team, but you did go out and get uh, Shota Imanega, who's probably like third or fourth starter. I mean, he's not he's not a, a man-for-man replacement of Marcus Stroman, but you believe that your young pitching is ready to take another step and you got more guys that will be probably joining this team as you move forward and they got a lot of really good young pitching. The um they they got Hector Neris to help in the bullpen. Ostensibly he's your closer, although the way you use him could be determine about when you believe the game's on the line, right? So he's a he's a high leverage uh pitcher who you believe is going to come in and help things. And now you got Bellinger back. So when you look at the team they had last year, I think without Bellinger, you felt like even getting a managerial change in a guy like Craig Council who you're paying more money than any manager in baseball, you believe can make a lot of key decisions and do a lot of good things for your team, you're still relying on on a younger team to fill in the blanks. But Bellinger, obviously, uh, is is the star of this team, and getting him back means going into the season, you don't feel like you're taking a giant step backward uh, from last year. Is last year's team better than this year's team? I think they fell apart at the end of the year because of the bullpen issues. And I think that Hector Neris might be the most important thing they've done. So many things going on there, right, Mali? I mean, you are glad that Cody Bellinger is back. You can make the argument that the teams are comparable from last year. 
You love the addition of Hector Neris, as you mentioned, you know, bullpen struggles. Yep. But they got arms in the bullpen. That's the they thing. Got they got a lot of guys. They still have a lot of arms. I think Shota Managa, you know, no one knows what he's going to how good he's going to be. He might be a guy that, you know, pitches extremely well in April, and then you got to figure out, you know, what he's going to do for the remainder of the season. But I think that the team themselves itself, I mean, you know, Young going was a catcher, Michael Bush at first, Matt Mervis slotted in currently in the depth chart as, as like the DH. I mean, it's just it a lot is going to be on Craig Council to get the best out of this team. And it really is dependent on the pitching. You know, if if Jordan Wicks is your fifth and he's doing anything close to what he was doing last year, I mean, it really is the strength of the team. I mean, last year was the defense. I think this year when you're looking at the squad, you're looking at Justin Shota, Jamison Tyone, who obviously kind of figured it out towards the middle of the season, and Kyle Hendricks, who once he came back was consistent. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good rotation. And then you add, you know, a guy like Hector Neris who's been there, had important innings, Albert Alzelay to close in. I mean, it's, the, the team, what I think that they're banking on is continuity consistently yep. bringing the squad back that they thought was good and just kind of building off that. Cause I do think ultimately this front office money where they, I think what they said to themselves is, okay, we, we're not going to just buy everything. Cause maybe we're not going to win a championship this year, but if we get to the playoffs and then we feel like that is a good launching pad, a good springboard to then add on to, then I think that's what I think is what I think that they're looking for, especially with, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong, you know, getting more at bats as you were meant as you were mentioning earlier and really becoming a key component on this team. I think the Not this year. Not this year. Yep. But I say moving forward. Right. For the he, future. He'll of the probably Cubs. go back to Iowa, in my opinion. I just don't see why you would keep him up here if he's not playing consistently. You're saying that I, and I don't Dustin's mean not here. That he's inconsistent. <laughs> no, I, I think Dustin would acknowledge the same thing. I mean you know, what was the issue with him last year? It, he Overwhelmed. Couldn't hit, he couldn't hit Major League Baseball. So he's got he's to get better hitting the, the baseball. I know they were working on his bunting game, and they, they were going to weaponize his speed with the bunt. I'm sorry, man. You've got to be able to consistently hit if you're going to play center field for a Major League Baseball team. It, it's, you know, there are, the league is filled with guys that are super fast and can't hit. I think the socks are filled with guys like that. Uh, <laughs> so Chris Getz went out and got a bunch of guys that look like him who, you know, I don't know how fast people they that are, he played but, with. <laughs> but, but I think what, what's fascinating about the Cubs is this had to happen. We've been waiting for this to happen. Um, they held their water on this and they end up getting a guy back paying 5 million more than they would have. I know they've never paid a player 30 million, but this buys them time with PCA. It buys them time with their young outfielders. It also, it gives them another year to weigh what they want to do with Cody Bellinger. If they think that, you know, there are, there are a lot of the analytics people look at what he did and they don't believe it's sustainable. He had a great year last year, but is it sustainable? And I think that is the reason that he didn't get the over $200 million that he was hoping for, not because he didn't have MVP-quality stuff. He did. He was great last year. But because the way he went about it, it, doesn't, it just doesn't jibe with the numbers overall. So there is a belief there will be some regression. As we talked about this morning, I thought Brandon made the point, um, and I tried to make it, I think he made it better, the idea that when you're on a one-year deal, you're back on the market. You know, you you're going to find 
th- you're going to find a highly motivated guy. And I think he's going to do very well for himself. I don't know how they're using him. I'm going to be fascinated. I keep hearing Craig Council talk about how batting, the, the lineup doesn't matter. In three games, he's had, I believe, Happer, Taukman, and, um, and uh, Nico as his leadoff guy. So who's going to lead off? You know, does do you believe that that Hap will end up leading off for this team? He doesn't think it matters that much because the sequence of of batters. You know, as long as you have your best guys at the top, it doesn't really matter how you line them up. That's a new one. I I, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> okay, I, and I mean, he's done a great job of it. So it's not like you can question what he's doing, but. We love to talk about Ian Happ and where he bats and where he should bat and what he does. Are you on board with him as a leadoff guy? I think it's interesting because Happer had such a tough year last year with the fans. You know, they, it was it was hot and cold. They weren't necessarily sure if they wanted him in the lineup, not in the lineup, where he was batting, third or not. Should Cody be there? I think there was just, you know there was a lot. But Happer's a gamer. A lot of people were upset the money that the Cubs gave him because then they felt like, hey, you know, these other players wouldn't be an issue if Happer didn't have that money. But I think, you know, when you're talking about cornerstone pieces of teams like we were doing with yeah. Pat, Pat Will, I mean, Happer is just a, a, a yeah. Cub guy. You know, he's the Cub guy. He's, he's somebody that should be there. Drafted player. They've developed the whole bit. I'm curious, Molly, if you think, you know, when it comes to Cody Bellinger being on this team and now being here, does he hurt or help PCA? Because you could make the argument that he hurts him because he's not getting the playing time. We're not having the ability to play center. But you could still make the argument that he's helping him because now he puts that vet in front of him to kind of, you know, watch as opposed to, you know, being thrown into the fire. Which of the two do you think uh, is more likely to be true? Hurting or helping? Bellinger hurting or helping PCA? I, I, well, I mean, I th- honestly don't believe PCA is going to be here. I think he's going to be in Iowa. I, I don't. So, so then you think ultimately so it helps I don't, him then? Well, I don't know if it helps him or hurts him. I don't know. I mean, we had such a small sample size of him um, at bat, but it wasn't good. He didn't get a hit. I mean, it's hard to sit here and tell you that, oh, he's totally major league ready. But but I, I guess it helps him because it gives him another year to, you know, you, you don't take a guy like that and then have him be like a, a, a super utility guy. I mean, you know, he – he, you want him to be playing every day, and you want him to to you know improve in all aspects of the game. I think he has to be in the minor leagues as a result of this signing. If he if you needed him to start, then he'd obviously be up here. But I I don't know that you need that. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. Kevin is in Palatine. Hey Kevin, how are you, man? Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Molly, you are 100% right. This helps PCA because I really hope he has a lot of nice Iowa gear because that's where he better be this year. <laughs> he, is not, he is not a good enough hitter yeah. to, like you said, play two days a week. That can't – save that for Canario or one of these other guys. You cannot have that guy. And the other thing that Bellinger is signing – so two things. I love that Boris lost. I love that he his full belly, his eight-year 200. I love that all his guys are still out there because I think Gabe is right. I think some of these guys, maybe it was Gabe, someone else said it in the pick six. These owners are getting wise. These eight, 10, 12-year deals, it's it's insane. But So two things on the Bellinger signing. One, it's great for my mental health because watching Matt Mervis 
he his bat is so slow. I don't know how he hits all these homers in the minors because he is not a prospect. So the fact that Bellinger's back so I don't have to see him play is uh, exceedingly exciting for me because he is uh, he's no bueno. And I don't want five years for the uh, third bit Matt Chapman because I think Matt Shaw is going to be a really right really good player. And I'm not uh, I'm not blocking him for uh, five years. I think that is. Uh, I think that's way wrong, but I think this is a uh, I think this is a good signing. One last thing on Stroman. Stroman never ever recovered from that error in England. It ruined his whole season. He had a mental breakdown and he was not able to recover and then he got hurt. So yes, Stroman had a great half. Yes, I'd be did. willing to bet a lot of money that we got a guy that's 2 years younger that will put up just as good a stats as uh Stroman this year. So I have I will not shed any tears for uh, Mr. Stroman pitching for the Yankees, and I can't wait for his first blow-up as John Heyman starts needling him nonstop because he does not have a good relationship with the New York media. So you guys have a great day. I love that Boris lost, and uh, it's a it's a good day. But they're where they were last year. They're no better. They're an 83-win team. Yeah, they're the same team, really, than they were a year ago, but they've got the manager, and they're relying on him to fill in a lot of those blanks. It'll be really interesting to see if that works. I mean, I think that we're going to be looking at Craig Council, you know, with with much Cubs much responsibility and and with the money he's being paid, I think we're going to be picking apart a lot of his decisions and we'll be talking about if they're, you know, world class or not, right? And I'm just being honest. I think that this is going to be like a highly charged uh, season and he'll be under evaluation as much as anyone. I think he, is, I think he's a really good manager and he'll do a really good job. But um, yeah, I, I I think it's interesting that Kevin doesn't. You know, you there's a lot of that going on where you don't want guys blocked or you don't want guys. I I think Matt Chapman is a seriously good baseball player, and he would make you a better team. Now, you know, is he blocking uh, Shaw long term? Okay, that's probably the case if you bring him in. But Shaw's not there. He's not ready to go. So Christopher Morrell, they're trying to find a way to get him in the lineup, and they got him learning third base. And we'll see how that goes, given the fact that he's been all over the field, and now they're zeroing in on one spot for him. So, you know, he made a real nice play yesterday. The ball, you know, caught a liner at third base, uh, did a good job breaking on the ball. That's a really tough position. Yeah. And uh, and we'll see. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the most impressive things Craig Council did when he first got here it has to do with Christopher Morrell. I think that for me, having a manager who can make definitive decisions like on Christopher Morrell, where last year there was no space for him. Rossi might have been thinking about the other players on his team that he had some relationships with. And not saying that he was playing favoritism, but clearly Christopher Morrell couldn't find an, a position to play every day. Craig Council comes in and says no. 26 homers in 107 games. We have to find a position for you. I don't care who's been here. Yeah. I don't care who's here. I don't care. No, he needs no. to play. Christopher, he, and he comes he's got to be it. in the lineup so you've that's found the position. Love, and that's what you love about Craig Council because he comes yep. in and says, no, this is where you're playing and this is what it is. It may not be the whole season, but for right now, you need to perfect this position in the present. And, and it's things like that where I feel like he'll make the biggest difference on this team. Getting the best out of guys. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that for the most part. I, you know – 
Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Cody Bellinger, Christopher Morrell, Dansby Swanson. It's a good team. It's a good team. And and how good is Michael Bush gonna be? Mm. It's a good it's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that that we have like a flat out answer on on that, but you know, again, it, it, he's this year's Matt Mervis, and, and you already heard some negativity on Mervis. Um, I hope he can hit. I hope he's a, a power guy. You think Matt Mervis can bounce back? Because I, uh, I, I genuinely do. I, I think he's okay. kind of buried. Here's the problem: like, if you're gonna, if you're putting your team together, Matt Mervis probably going to be in Iowa too. I don't know how he stays in the position. He's kind of a backup first baseman to Michael Bush. I think Bush will be the starter. Seems like they're using wisdom more at first base. Um, so I think wisdom will get some games there. Obviously, we know that Bellinger can come in and play some first base. You don't need a backup first baseman on this team. So if you got wisdom, sometimes third, sometimes first, that's better to me than Mervis only playing a backup first base. I, I don't get that one. Mash um, Mervis. Yeah. I mean, if he was mashing, then maybe we could have easier a decision. Also, you got a lot of people, or at least one guy, mad at me that I'm making assumptions about PCA. I'm saying the guy needs more time and needs to get his bat going. I know it's only, it's a small sample size, but he's yet to get a major league hit. That doesn't matter to you at all. Well, my prediction is going to be PCA, Pete Crow Armstrong. So a Cubs outfielder will be the biggest star in Chicago (laughs) by the year 2028. I was on that show. (laughs) I remember being on that show when, when Dustin said that. It's tough, right? I mean, it's a lot of pressure for a guy to come in. He's swaggy. You want to see him get at bats. But unfortunately, sometimes the swag doesn't translate to the big show. And that's what PCA, you know, has experienced last year. Do you like the hair? I love the hair. Well, I you, love you're, it. You're a, you're a color your hair guy. Yeah. You've you know, done it. You've seen me with red streaks have, in my hair. I have seen it. I, I think for me, you know what I love the most about it, Mully, is is the ownership of the team. Not that he's trying to be the leader, right? But more so, like, yes, I am here. I am a Cub. I want to bleed Cubby blue. I want it to come out of my pores. I want it to be in my hair. Like, I love that. I love when guys buy into their teams like that. And to me, that's what I enjoyed the most about it. Brandon, do you love the hair? Uh, if, I mean, if he likes it, I guess. But I mean, I mean, it's okay. You don't do. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe because we're like used to that Chicago Bulls, Dennis Rodman type of vibe. So I guess on that end, maybe. But I mean. Molly, don't do makes, for me. Hey, Molly, if he makes the roster, you should dye your hair blue opening day. Yeah. <laughs> is his hair still uh, going to be it, blue? Don't worry. Is, is his hair still going to be blue while he's in Iowa? I, it's fading already. I mean, he it's needs a tough to, color to he, keep. Yeah. You know, you got to keep treating it. Alex, are you uh, a dye the hair guy? He's I young. can be, but I'm, I'm not a Alex fan. Alex is of the, a straight I'm not. Guy. I'm not a fan of the PCA. Why not? Why not? Why I don't not? know. It just, just looks weird. It does not look cool on him. I'm sorry. You guys That's are what I'm saying. You guys are haters, man. If a guy had so was so good, where Dustin Rhodes is thinking he's going to be the superstar in ten years, comes in, dyes his hair blue for his team for picture day. I'm. I don't know about you. I'm in. I am not hating on anything like that. Y'all are haters. He's got to get a hit first before we buy in. Get a hit, right? Oh, come on. It's wow. a small. Money and I size. are supposed to be the socks hate like hating. You guys are coming down hard. We we are the Sox haters. Does anyone like the White Sox? I don't know. 
I watched yeah. them. I watched their two games in part because I wanted to see the broadcast. The Seattle one or the Arizona? I watched the Cubs game and I I listened to it on okay. um, NBC Sports Chicago. Just I just wanted to see how they were going to do as a broadcast team, and I wanted to make a judgment on the broadcaster as much as anything. And you're and it's way too final early. Judgment? It's oh, okay. way too early to make a, uh, a judgment. I thought he was very professional. Uh, you know who's the who, you know who's the pro pros. Our guy, Bruce Levine, and we're going to bring him in next. We'll find out. It seemed like PCA, uh, excuse me, it seemed like Bellinger got a huge, huge uh, positive reaction from all the guys on the team. They wanted him back. They feel good about it. Dansby Swanson, we heard from uh, Kyle Hendricks. Uh, Even PCA said some nice things, and as I said, I think that means he's in the minors. But we'll ask Bruce what the moves are, what happens next. Talk to Bruce Levine next from Arizona. Mully and Hawn, the score. It's a trip. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Perfect question. Baseball. Bruce Levine. It's great to talk some baseball. Score Baseball Insider, covering the Cubs and White Sox for more than 30 years. Bruce Levine is a newsbreaker. Inside the Clubhouse co-host, alongside our own David Haw. We've got a lot of baseball conversation to cover. Great being with you, talking baseball. Bruce Levine. That's a really good question, Bruce. See, Bruce asked the first hard question. With Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. Gabe Ramirez in for David this morning. And now joining us on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline is Bruce Levine. Download the Circa Sports app today. Bruce, good morning. How are you, buddy? I'm um, doing great, guys. Obviously, Bellinger is back in camp. I'm sure that's where you want to start. Yeah, and, and everyone is overjoyed by it. And we were talking about what the implications are. So, you know, obviously they got a, you know, I think he took the physical and then he signs the deal. And then maybe even today they're going to have to make a move, right? They'll have to uh, take someone off the 40. What do they do? Well, I mean, you know, there's, there's options there. Um, Not, not everybody's going to be integral part of the team. So at this point of spring training, you, 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 if you take somebody off of the roster and they're at 40 men, uh, you know, you have to run them through waivers. Yep. You know, do you, do you worry about losing everybody on there? I don't think so. I mean, there, there's there's candidates and, you know, you hate to say people like David Bodie, you know, who's been through it and still owed $5 million for 2024 would be 
a candidate, but there, there's there's right. people on that list that uh, they'll comfortably make the move on and hopefully uh, be able to bring back if they if they clear waivers. Bruce, do you think one side is happier than the other? Because you know most people think it's a great deal for both. Everybody has you know Cubs play a pay a little bit more money than they were last year. Uh, Bellinger has the option to opt out, opt out. But if there's, there's one side you feel like is happier than the other, who is it? Uh, the Cub fans. <laughs> I, I think they're, they're the happiest side of this. So true. Uh, I mean, look, the guy's making $30 million, okay? Yep. He made 17 last year. It's not, you know, they, they haven't taken his first child away. They haven't, they haven't damaged him at all. He's going to be, next year he'll be 29 after a good year. He'll be able to do the same dance over again, and hopefully it'll be a better free agent market for him and a uh, more robust market for MLB, who is dealing with RSNs going broke all over the game and nobody knowing what their revenues are. You, you're going to hear you know, collusion from uh, the player side at some point, some type of complaints. But the reality of the economics of baseball right now is yeah, the game's in great shape. People are still going. There's money to be made. But TV money, you know, 15 teams are losing somewhere between 60 and $120 million a year. That's going to have to be rectified by MLB, who takes over the production of some of these teams and has to find a way to start streaming teams all over baseball, all over the country and the world to start making money again for these clubs. You know, um, a PCA would seem to be an odd man out here. It would appear that, you know, Talkman is there. You move him back to the minors and get back uh, to the developmental phase. Am I wrong about that? Does that make sense? And, you know, is Canario, is he another guy that you would think about moving down or are you okay with him staying as a backup and – and doing different things. I mean, how does the roster flush out as a result of this signing? Well, I think it's a great question, Mike, because it's going to be conversation that's had and will probably be one of the top subjects of Cubs camp other than good health until the end, until until the opening day. And when you look at PCA, the one thing that he brings that uh, you can't deny and that has to be considered is he brings great defense, even better defense to center field than Bellinger. So what's your best team from the seventh inning on in close games that you're going to play maybe 100 times out of the uh, 162 games? What's your best defense seventh inning on? It's, it's PCA in center and Bellinger at first base, okay? So those things are going to have to be considered. Do you, uh, do you consider PCA not playing 160, 140 games in the minor leagues as opposed to maybe 100 at the big league level? maybe only getting 350, 400 bats compared to 500 in the minor leagues, is your need at the major league level greater than the need for him to continue to get bats at the minor league level, still not proving himself uh, after a great year last year coming up and creating doubt after only 14 at bats where he didn't get a hit? Uh, is this what you want? So I, I, think, I, I don't think it's an easy answer. I don't think it's an easy question to deal with. Uh, for my money, if the guy's the best center fielder in baseball, I want him out there a lot, okay? And if you have Bellinger at first and you have uh, Michael Bush, who you got from the Dodgers and you think he can hit 30 home runs, 
there's a position called DH, and uh, <laughs> I think the Cubs will have be moving uh, a lot of people around in that position. Uh, w- one thing that uh, you know, council didn't come here to do is to lose or to uh, necessarily listen to other people about what his lineup's going to be. He's going to fight for the best lineup and best players, and that probably includes Pete Crow Armstrong at the end of games during the regular season. So, so you think he opens the season with the major league team and, and stays there? I would say that uh, if it was my team, Mike, and they haven't yet asked me to join the coaching staff lately. <laughs> that, no, or, that's fascinating. Yeah. For, for me – I want Pete Crow Armstrong because he's going to be one of the best 26 players in my organization to help me win at the major league level. Yeah, and, you know, Craig Council certainly is going to have his hands full. And, you know, adding Bellinger does wonders for him and his line of construction. When it comes to Bellinger, though, Bruce, do you expect, you know, a similar season as last year, improvement year over year, or do you think there there will be some regression to the mean? Well, you know, it's a great question there, too, because – some people think he had a great year last year, and then metrics people say, yeah, but, you know, at the end of the year, he faded, and uh, he was making soft contact. Well, you know, in my world, I'll take 75 uh, RBIs for the last three months of the season mm-hmm. like he had. I know the RBI is not a sexy statistic. A lot of uh, metrics people consider that uh, just a, a number where somebody's hitting in a certain spot in the lineup, he's going to drive in a certain amount of runs. I I don't believe that. I just think that he was one of the most impactful players in the National League last year, in particular the last three months. And, uh, you know, I would say that uh, having a similar year to last year, and and keep in mind, he missed 30 games, and he still put up, you know, 26 home runs, 97 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, impactful in center and first. So for me, if he has that same season – uh, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, if he doesn't hit 35 or 40 home runs, but he continues to uh, hit singles to left field on two strikes and he chokes up, uh, you know I'm I'm good with that. That to me that's a baseball player. Um, when we start talking about um, the coffers, you know, and and whether mm-hmm. this means they're done, uh, Matt Chapman's still out there. I don't know how you feel about. A third base guy. Uh, I don't know if you can get him on a short deal. I don't know if they have the money to to still make a move like that. Are they done, Bruce? Is this their team, or do you think? And again, you know they're they're kind of having an open tryout at third base. Morell getting every opportunity. You want his bat in the lineup, and it's a good way to do so. Um, do you think they're done, or do you think they can make another move here? Look, they have a, an impactful guy that can play third base in Morrell. Is he going to play like Chapman, who's one of the great third basemen of the last 10, 15, 20 years? No, he's not going to be as good as that. Will he provide as much offense or more? Uh, in the case of Morrell, he did last year more than Chapman. He had 26 home runs. Chapman hit 17. He had an 820 OPS. Chapman was in the, in the 700s. Uh, you know, as, as far as that goes, you know, do you want to put 20 to $25 million into Chapman on a short term? You know, remember the number one player in their organization coming up that they think will be in the uh, major leagues within another year is Matt Shaw, who they drafted a year ago and had a terrific beginning to his career in the minor leagues. Do you want to tie up that position 
you want to give Chapman, uh, you know, the same type of contract that you gave, um, that, that you that you just gave Bellinger. Here, here's the other thing: they're they're right at the luxury tax. Okay, they're they're right about 232 million right now with their 40 man roster. It's 237 total. You're going to go way over for Chapman at this point, or any other free agent that's going to make 20 to 25 million. I don't see it happening. Um, I know Cub fans would like it. I know it'd be a, a fun story, but I believe that, um, and I think more importantly, they believe that um, Morrell's going to outproduce Chapman as far as offense goes, and they'll live with a little less defense, maybe a lot less defense at third base. I think that's one position you can live with uh, uh, multiple errors and, and not feel like um, it's taking away from the team if the guy's hitting 30 home runs and driving in 100. Bruce, it seems like the Cubs have you know some really good depth, right? You're looking at pitching. We saw it last year they were able to bring up arms from the minors or whether it was their bullpen. Uh, you know, Obviously, defensively up the middle, extremely solid. When you look at this team, where do you feel like they're the weakest at? Like, not, not necessarily having as much depth as, as you would want them to have. Well, I still have question marks about the starting pitching. And they have good quality starting pitchers, but they don't have, uh, other than Steele, you don't have anybody that you consider to be an ace and a, a true number one. Uh, they have functional guys. Imanaga, hopefully he's going to be a good four pitcher. You know, you're, you're hoping to get uh, more out of Tyone. You're hoping to get more out of Hendricks. Uh, there's young guys that are vying for that spot uh, for the number five, but they're they're lacking a power arm. So if you're a Cub fan, keep your eye on Ben Brown, who was acquired from the Phillies a couple years ago. He's got a power arm. He almost came up last year, but uh, an oblique problem uh, shut him down. And, and keep your eye on Kate Horton coming by hopefully the middle of the year if he keeps his progress going. You need some guys that can go in there and blow some people away. The Cubs don't really have that in their pitching staff. They have good pitchers. They don't have great pitchers. I think if you can fortify that, and I, I think that Hawkins and Hoyer feel that uh, they have pitching depth this year. Uh, they feel good about that. But, again, uh, if there's one thing I, or I would like to see, I'd like to see both Horton and uh, Brown start to make their way to the major leagues this year. Uh, Bruce, quick question with the White Sox. We talked about it a little bit this morning that Martin Maldonado, uh, the machete, dogging at the first base after seemingly grounding out to the pitcher and Wicks bobbles the ball and the guy's about a third of the way down the line. And so he starts – I know he's a slow guy to begin with, but um, – and then Wicks bobbles the ball again. I mean, I don't know if you got two errors for one play, but it sure looked like it. And then he reaches, but he ended up apologizing to the team over it. Uh, supposedly, Pedro said something to him before he did that. What, um, you know, it's not good to have a, a guy you bring in who's supposedly going to be this veteran presence and going to help everybody, and he's dogging at the first base in the first spring training game. Is that just part of playing fast? What do you make? Well, I'm, first of all, if there's a race between you and Maldonado, I'm betting on you. Okay. Thank you, buddy. Uh, he's, he's not, he's not going to be ever a, a speed player. But, you know, the point is well taken. You bring in a guy to show a new character. You want him to be aggressive. But do you want him to be aggressive in the first game if you're, he's your top catcher and blow out a hamstring 
in your first game uh, of the season. I, 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 I side on Maldonado's career as being a winner, as being a guy that is going to be influential with the cut with the White Sox pitching staff. And I'm not worrying about whether he legs out a single in the first game of spring training. I'm, I'm worried about him staying healthy. So he's going to be contributing along with uh, Stassi as the top two catchers for the White no, Sox. No, I'm just talking year. about the philosophy that the manager is trying to impart on the team. And yeah, you know, it's not I, again, Tony Larusa telling you go at your own speed. I mean, he's telling them he wants them to break their hump. I guess, but you know, this isn't you know, it's not okay. it's not college ball. I, I just think that the guy is a proven uh, guy. If this happens in a regular season game, I think then you you, you got something to worry about. If it's a Spring training game, uh, yeah, you're, you're trying to set an example. But, again, these are professional players. They should uh, know what the uh, mantra is there. Like you said, play fast, meaning play smart, play good, play clean baseball. That's not necessarily what you want. I agree with you, Mike. But in this case, I want a healthy Maldonado and Stassi to uh, start the season as the top catchers for the White Sox. Thanks, Bruce. Great catching up. Appreciate your time as always. Guys, have a great day. That is our guy, Bruce Levine, 312-644-6767. Am I jumping on Maldonado? Should I be kinder toward him? No, I think you're bringing up a great point, Mully, which is that he was brought in for a reason. Pedro Gafoa has been preaching this. He comes up with an acronym, and then the very first game, second inning, it happens. Yeah. And so rough. I think you're right. I think, I think, you're, I think you're giving it enough, enough grief. All right. We gave it a little air. Bruce didn't seem to appreciate it, but I mean, come on. It's not college, Mully. Tony's not there telling you, oh, whatever you do, don't pull a hammy. I mean, if I'm, if, if I got signed to the White Sox out. for the first time, I'm pro- I, and I understand what they've been dealing with for the last, I'll probably be running hard to first base. Run the ball out. 312-644-6767. Mully and Hall, we got Gabe Ramirez with us this morning on Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. I think it's a no-brainer that we got to protect their legs. I guess the word of the day is fast. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. You got to have a motto. And, and I mean, I don't know. I, I, I heard fast. I didn't hear bad. Be a dead ass on the base path. <laughs> he didn't say fast. ass. He said fast. Oh, yeah. Be fat. I like that. They forgot the S. They left the yeah, S out. They left the uh, selflessness out. Yeah. Uh, all right. 312-644-6767. Let's try. Rod is on the south side. Hey, Rod. How are you, buddy? Hey, hey guys. Look, what? Fast, clean, just not good. Just not good. <laughs> well, well, I don't think they're going to be good. There's no G in fast. But, That's but what they, they supposedly were going to work hard. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I, boy, I tell you that. But look here, I agree with uh, 100% about Maldonado. Now, because Bruce said on um, Saturday that Dusty Baker had said it was like when you had him co- uh, catching the game, it was like having a coach there. See, all these things that they're bringing him, him in. Well, and first of all, uh, it was a lot easier with that style. <laughs> you have Verland and the pitchers they had at Houston. But back to the, the, the original point is, when you have a team that lets have people sleeping in the bullpen, right. not attending meetings, just, I mean, no discipline, chaos. For me, uh, Pedro had to do that. That is his emphasis. 
That's what he talks about. So, no, you, I, I, I agree with y'all 100%. Right from day one. Okay, if you don't do it game one, but game two, no. From the, the moment that they started, because that is really going to be important for this team. So I just wanted to say that. Agree, agree with both of you all that, that uh, Pedro did the right thing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, he had to say something. You can't let it go. You got to get on the guy and – the guy apparently apologized to the team, so it shouldn't be a factor moving forward. But, you know, you can't you can't talk a big game and then the first time out. <laughs> and, you know, again, Jordan Wicks, God bless him. He pitched great, and, uh, and they, it was good to see him on the bump. Um, but that play, if he hadn't made the second error in the course of it, he would have had him out at first. That's how bad – it was for from for Maldonado. Uh, let's try uh, Mark. Mark's on the south side. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing there, Molly and Good. Dave? Good talk with you. Uh, Benji uh, Wilson. That was an interesting story. I didn't see the documentary, Molly. He wasn't he killed by a, a rival person here on a late on a young lady he was dating or something. Yeah, I, I don't remember the whole story, but he was walking, I think, with like a girlfriend down to like a convenience store, and he he bumps into these guys on the street, and the one guy tells the other guy, "Pop them," and they shoot him to death. I mean, it's just a horror story. For again, he was ranked the number one overall prospect uh, in that class going into his senior year. It was really interesting because. Um, as part of the documentary, they talked about the two guys uh, that were that were found guilty. Uh, the one guy who had actually committed the crime was kind of filled with regret and and you know actually ended up turning his life around and helping people and getting. Oh, wow. And then the other guy who probably you know who was there but uh, was convicted because he instructed the other guy to shoot him not because he did anything he became really bitter and you know ended up having a very hard time with his life you know it's like just it was a very interesting story from that perspective too if you get an opportunity to see that um that 30 for 30 you really should take it 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 was something else and i just remember and i was a friend of mine texted me uh, about it uh, after we had chatted about it um, it was so extraordinary. His mother was so strong and really was this amazing person at the time that came forward and talked about it's it's not how you died, it's how you lived. Mm. And some of the things that she said just really resonated with people. And, you know, again, this is early 80s, I think, something like that, mid-80s, something like that. And just a, um, you know, an absolute tragedy. No other way around it. And um, and just a pity beyond belief. So such a waste of, a, you know, a great young talent, a great young life. And, and you know, you know about that story because the guy was a basketball player. There's plenty of stories in this city where we don't hear about what the what happened with the victim. And there's shootings all the time and, and you know, real tragedies going on in a lot of people's lives. So... You don't feel good about that in, in any way. We're going to uh, we're going to get back to the Cubs. We're going to bring in Andy Martinez of the Marquee Network, and we're going to talk about Belly coming in. I I can't wait to get his opinion. 
on what it means for PCA if he's going to be the late-inning defensive specialist that uh, that Bruce suggested. It's Mully and Haw. We've got Gabe Ramirez on Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 the score. Jed and I have a great relationship. Carter and I have a great relationship. And I think that so often it's easy to say, well, do they, like, do they care? You know, but they, I mean, they do. They, they love this organization. They love uh, what the city of Chicago and, and the Cubs represent. And they want to do everything they can in order to put us in the best position possible. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670, the score. Gabe Ramirez kind enough to sit in for David this morning. He gets the rare day off. And we've been talking about uh, about the Cubs. The Cubs signing uh, center fielder Coney Bellinger to a three-year, $80 million deal. And uh, now joining us on the Circa Resort and Casino is Andy Martinez of the uh, the Marquee Network, CircaLasVegas.com. Andy, good morning. How you holding up, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Well, you're working hard, and we appreciate that. And, uh, you know, we, we've been having a fun conversation this morning talking about Cody Bellinger, what it means, how pleased everyone uh, is, the players talking about it. We know what a big deal this is. And, you know, technically – he gets five million more than he would have had last year by opting uh, by opting out. So he kind of wins a little bit, but I feel like this is a really good uh, contract for the Chicago Cubs. I know he can opt out after each of the first two years of the deal, but it it buys them time, gives them cover. They got a great player coming back in, and you don't have to worry about regression because. Uh, it's not a long-term deal, and it's not something that uh, that you have to worry about beyond. They're, they're paying them thirty million, which is the most they've ever paid anyone for a season. But it feels like a good deal for the Cubs. It it really does, and it feels like a good deal for both sides. Clearly, one of the I guess issues with a lot of teams with Cody Bellinger was the the underlying metrics, right? His batted ball data kind of didn't line up with what his actual numbers were. So there was some concern there. He was also coming off two really, really poor seasons in 21 and 22 that I think people were wondering, is 2023 who Cody Bellinger is, or is it more closer to who he was in 21 and 22? I kind of tend to think he's kind of somewhere in the middle and probably a little bit closer to 23 than definitely what he was in 21 and 22. But it allows him to kind of essentially reset his market once again, right? If he has a really good season this season, he can go back into the free agency market and probably find that long-term contract that he was trying to get this season that clearly he could not get. Andy, you know, a lot of people in Chicago are, you know, believers in Ryan Poles. They love what he's done so far for the Chicago Bears. But when you're looking at the front office of the Chicago Cubs, you got to tip your cap to them as well. I feel like they understand what they are doing, not only for the future of the team, but but in the present as well. Yeah, it's Dansby Swanson yesterday had, I think a really interesting quote where he says internal improvements aren't always the sexiest or flashiest things. And, and I mean, everyone would agree, right? It's more, always more exciting to to have Cody Bellinger join your team and have him be, contribute to the lineup than say like, Oh, let's have this prospect get a run of at bats. Like the, the, the prevailing thought among fans and among everyone else is always going to be, well, you want to have that sexy veteran come in and just free agent veteran, just come in and turn around your lineup. 
but they've really done a good job of building up this farm system to where a lot of these prospects that you heard about when they were first acquired or when they were first drafted, whatever it was, you're like, they're so far away. They're at the point now where it's like, well, they're at double A or triple A or potentially trying to be on a major league roster. Andy, we had an interesting uh, conversation with Bruce Levine where we asked if uh, the presence now of uh, of Bellinger means that Pete Crow Armstrong is back to the minor leagues, and you know you could put him in Iowa and you can get him every every uh, at, you know at bat you could dream of, and maybe maybe he fights his way back up Christopher Morel style from last year. And Bruce seemed to think, no, you're, you know, he's the best defensive outfielder on the team, and you'd be better off with him as a defensive replacement, uh, even for a guy like Cody Bellinger, and have Bellinger come in and be a defensive replacement at first base. Are, are you, are you leaning toward PCA being back in the minors, or is he ready to be that kind of? defensive guy, even if he doesn't get as many at-bats in the major leagues? I tend to lean more towards the minor league side, but I see Bruce's point, and I would wholeheartedly agree in the sense that if the Cubs are trying to win, which they clearly are in 2024, then you want the best possible roster, and having Pete Crow Armstrong as a defensive replacement in the outfield presents your best defense or your best optimized roster, right? But for his development and for the Cubs' long-term future, is it best that he sits and maybe plays once or twice a week and doesn't see hitting or major league pitching, excuse me, for, for long periods of time. I don't think that's probably the best course of action for his development and for the Cubs. So I kind of tend to think that his best, his best pathway is going back to AAA, getting every day at bats. And whether it's an injury, whether it's like you said, forcing his hand, like Christopher Merle did, like I think it, it gets to the point where come it could be as early as middle of April or May or whenever the Cubs have the decision to make, well, this guy's ready. How do we, find a way to implement them into the lineup. Andy, when you're looking at this Cubs team last year, you know, I'm not talking about pitching here. I'm talking about position players. They tried their best to inject some youth and some spark into this lineup with a couple of names. I'm curious of those players, you know, the Jared Youngs, the Matt Mervises, you know, even the Pete Crow Armstrongs. Uh, of all of those young guys, who do you think is going to make – now, nah, let's leave out Pete Crow Armstrong – because that's a too easy of an answer. You know what? Let me ask a more specific question. <laughs> because I guess I really just want to know about Matt Mervis. I've been talking about him all day. And I guess of all the young guys that I saw last year, Andy, he's the one that I feel like maybe not got the got a raw a raw deal, but I wish he would have gotten a little bit more time. Or he wouldn't have been under so much pressure when he came up. So I guess my question to you is, a guy like Matt Mervis, does he strike you as someone who can make the biggest leap of the non-pitching uh, prospects for the Cubs? Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. Just because it, the, the Cubs kind of front office kind of told you what the, what their intentions are in first base with the Michael Bush edition, and now really the the Cody Bellinger edition. It kind of puts Matt Mervis as the fourth first baseman in best case scenario, with Patrick Wisdom also getting reps at first base and and being a right handed option at first base. So it's interesting, kind of what they've done this offseason and showing what where Matt Mervis kind of fits in the picture. Let's not get it. Let's not forget though. He hits a lot of home runs, which is the hardest thing to do in this game, and that can't be overlooked. I I'm curious as to if they can find somehow, whether it's through injury, whether it's through him just again doing what he's done the last two seasons in the minor leagues, hitting a lot of home runs. Does that get him a pathway to maybe an extended run? 
he never really had that extended run. He struggled when he was playing and then was sent down and never came back up. So I'm curious, like, if he gets uh, an extended run, does that have, like, does he turn into a, a major league caliber hitter? I don't know. And really it's getting to the point where is, is, is that going to happen to the Chicago Cubs? With the Chicago Cubs, we don't know either. Are they done? Is this the team they're going to go to battle with? I mean, we keep, you know, I mean, there's a third baseman that's there. You don't want to uh, block somebody forever, and they're kind of holding tryouts at third base, and it's a great way if Morell can play it to uh, to get him his bat in the lineup every day. But I'm just curious, Chapman is out there. Would, would they make another move? Are they out of money? What do you make of whether – I mean, I know they signed uh, Garrett Cooper to a minor league deal, and he could be a DH for them if things worked out for him. Uh, we'll see what happens. But do you feel like this is co- a complete roster now? It, I, I wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a complete roster, but I, it kind of feels like they're done. I, at least they're acquiring out of town. Maybe there's a reliever that that they they find a deal that that both sides work and and they go after it. But it, it kind of feels like what they have they're they're content with and if the right deal presents itself right if Chapman continues to linger out in the market and and decides he's willing to take a one year deal and the the money lines up maybe it fits in but Chapman's just an interesting name because he has a draft pick compensation tied to him so if you're getting him for a one year deal you that not only factor in whatever his contract is 15 20 whatever pick a number but you also factor in that you're losing your second round draft pick and we've seen how valuable those draft picks have become two years ago it was Jackson Ferris who turned into Michael Bush. Mm. They drafted Jackson Wiggins last year, who seems like he could be a, a very decent pitching prospect. You, you don't want to necessarily give up that, that second round pick for one year of Matt Chapman. And that makes sense. I mean, obviously they're, they're trying to build something here. We talked about it earlier in the conversation, Andy, you know, there, I do have a ton of faith in the front office of the Chicago Cubs to not only put the best product on the field in the present, but, even towards the future, whether that's at the trade deadline, next year's offseason, I, I truly am confident in the front office to put together uh, that that staff. Speaking of staffs, when you're looking at the, the rotation of the Chicago Cubs, how are you slotting in these guys in your mind? Like, where, how do you see them playing out? I mean, because, you know, after Justin Steele, uh, everybody's pointing at each other kind of, you know, because they're the same person. Obviously, we have no idea what Shota's going to bring. But in your mind, how does that rotation pan out? What's what does one through four or five look like to you? Yeah, so after Steele, prob- I would think it's probably Jamison Tyon just to kind of break up the lefties and then maybe Imanaga and then Hendricks. The fifth starter spot's one of the big battles in camp, but uh, Craig Council kind of downplayed it just because there's he's mentioned, and this is true, you can statistically look back on past seasons, you use eight, nine pitchers that to say, like, all right, you have your five starters and these five starters are going to make – 30 starts throughout the year is just that's just doesn't happen anymore. You you're looking at like yes, whoever is going to start the fifth game that's technically your fifth starter. But as we saw last season, Hayden Wesneski won the fifth uh, starter job, and by May he was he was no longer in the rotation. There's going to be some 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 different combination of that fifth starter or really a potentially a sixth starter maybe to to kind of give break in some some rest days for some of the other starters. I, I, it could be Jordan Wicks. Drew Smiley's being started, uh, stretched out to be mm-hmm. a starter, and he's impl- he's implemented a couple of new pitches, a slider and a splitter that he hopes can kind of get him back to where he was early on in in 2023. Javier Saad's also an interesting candidate, just given 
he was one of the Cubs' best pitchers down the stretch last year. Uh, when when things kind of started going wrong, he was still the, the the most stabilizing force. So there's a lot of interesting internal candidates that could fit into that fifth starter spot. But for for two through four, I I would figure it's Tyon Imanaga and then Hendricks, um, maybe just to break up the the, the righty lefties a little bit. I, I Craig Council is a very interesting guy. He's like down p- playing the. Starting pitching, he's downplaying the lineup. He basically says it doesn't matter who leads off or how you use guys as long as your best players are at the top of the order. Yeah, he's just he's just super relaxed about all of it. He really is. It's 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 so kind of interesting to me. Like I had never really I had never really interacted with Craig Council before he was hired as the, the Cubs manager and seeing him the, this is he's widely considered or the the best manager in baseball, and it's just such a calm and relaxing presence that he has. Where you're you're kind of think well, like I, like I can see why this guy is the 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 best manager. A lot of players yesterday were talking about Cody Bellinger's calming presence and and like how like he's the same chill everyday guy every single every single day, whether he's on a hot streak or whether he's struggling, and how refreshing that is in a clubhouse. Well, when you get that from the manager, that's probably just as refreshing and, and relaxing to see that the guy who's leading you is going to be the same guy day in and day out. Yeah. And it's fun to see a guy like Craig council, you know, being there. I, I I'm trying to think in my mind, and I want to ask you, Andy, your opinion on like, wh- what is council's weakest area, right? Cause so many people coming in, one of the best managers in the game, going to make a big difference coming in with the same team. It doesn't matter. You got Craig council. But where are some areas that you think he might he might struggle in? That's a good question. I, I mean, the the at least if you look at his resume and and what his past has said, it, it would you would say it's the playoffs, right? Just given the 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 struggles that Milwaukee has had in the playoffs, but the playoffs also are a complete. There's a lot of randomness. There's no there's no like just because you're a good manager doesn't mean like you're a bad playoff. Like there's there's so many variabilities that go into playoffs that you can kind of write that off. I think the biggest thing for council right now is just getting to know the Cubs organization. He's been with Milwaukee for so long that I think his weakest point, and he's making it an effort to not make it a weak point, is just getting to familiarize himself with everything about the Cubs, the players. We've seen him on the backfields chatting with Owen Casey, chatting with some of these prospects, just getting to know them and how important that is. And he's stressed that and he's preached that and he's gone through with that. You see him talking to everyone in the organization, getting to know them, because he's mentioned numerous times some of these guys that you think they're they're probably not going to be in the in the major leagues they could be getting big at bats or pitching big innings come uh, June July August you know one of their most intriguing signings is Hector Neris just because of the way last season went and the way they kind of melted down in the bullpen uh at the end of the year and so you bring this guy in and i think it's going to be fascinating to see exactly how he's used. You know, he's, a, he's, he's technically like the high leverage guy, but we don't know what inning uh, council's going to consider the high leverage inning. Yeah, and Hector spoke about it in one of his first media availabilities. He mentioned the ninth gets kind of all the attention because it's the last inning and, and games you can lose games in that situation. But sometimes the biggest situation occurs in the sixth or seventh or eighth inning. And, and he's ready to pitch in all those situations. What is interesting is, is in his contract, he has the, the games finished clause where he gets uh, an incentive if he, depending on the number of games he's finished. So like this is maybe 
Craig Council didn't go out and flat out say that Adbert Alzali is the closer. He's in the mix, and he deserves to, to be in the mix given how he pitched last year. But does that maybe factor in a little bit? I don't know. Um, but Hector Neris, I think, is – I, I agree. It's probably the most underrated signing that they've made. Like, Bellinger is the flashiest, and, and, and Managa was, was really important for the rotation. But the, the struggles late last season kind of came down to the bullpen. And okay. the three guys that they relied on were Merriweather, Leiter, and Alzali. And by the end of the season, Leiter and Alzali were dealing with injuries, and Merriweather was kind of the only arm that was relied was able to be relied upon. You add in Hector Neris, you add in a Yancy Almonte. They have Carl Edwards Jr. in camp on a on a minor league deal. They've built in enough veteran options that they don't have to turn to a prospect coming up for the first time and and hope he can get used to major league uh, environment right away and be a high leverage drum, kind of like what they were hoping with Luke Little late in the season. So it, it, they've built up enough veteran depth that they can kind of protect themselves from, from overusage in, in the bullpen. Yeah, it, it, it is really interesting for that very reason. And I think that, you know, as we look at their um, young players, um, you know, is Ben Brown going to be knocking on the door eventually and is he going to be up here? Does that mean someone in the rotation moves into the bullpen? You know, we, we don't know exactly how they're going to go about this, but they've got, like, seemingly an endless supply of these young arms on the way. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to kind of, going back to that bullpen point, I remember at this point last year, the the Cubs didn't make a ton of veteran bullpen signings, and and the thinking was, well, they have so many young arms coming up through the bullpen that they're going to be contributing. And then a lot of those guys struggled in the minor leagues or got hurt. And really like uh, Daniel Palencia was really the only one that was kind of pitching regularly. And Luke Little, I know came up late in the year, but there was, there was this abundance of young relief pitching that was supposed to be, that was supposed to be ready to contribute to the major league roster. And it just kind of didn't happen. So yeah, like they have a lot of starting pitching depth right now, but as we've seen in a, in a in a baseball season, a lot can happen. Ben Brown uh, seemed like he was going to be a major leaguer at some point last year, and then he dealt with an oblique or, or lat injury late mm-hmm. in the season that he he ended his season on on uh, with on the injured list. So yeah, they have a lot of options right now. But part of the reason why you built up so many options is because guys are going to struggle, guys are going to be hurt, and you're you're not going to be able to say, well, we have 12 starting pitchers. That's a good problem to have because you at the end of the day, you might only have eight or nine. Great stuff, Andy. Thank you so much. Really appreciate all the insights, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. That is Andy Martinez from the Marquee Network. Does a great job. Interesting stuff all the way around as you start picking apart where this team is at and uh, and are they better than they were a year ago? Will the manager make that big a difference? Um, they had a decent manager last year. I thought he was good. I thought he did a great job over the last couple of seasons. I'd take him. I wanted to ask Andy how many years he thinks Belly's going to be playing for the Cubs. I I think that is a really tough one to call because if he has a really good year, maybe he's gone. If he has a mediocre year, maybe he's back. It's it's a tough one. I feel because I, I, of the opt out, thirty million is a lot of money. But but Mully, I think even if he has a good season, let's say it's comparable to last year. Okay. And he hits the free agent market. Don't you don't you assume that teams will treat him the exact same way? I am not sure you can duplicate this. Well, if he duplicates it, then obviously he's going to do pretty well. Again, I, I think teams would probably treat it the same way. I don't know, man. Can you do it for three more years? It's a a really good question, and it's a fun one to contemplate. 
312-644-6767. How many years will he be here? The guy effectively signs a one-year deal, but is it a three-year deal? If he's if he's accepting twenty million for the third year, then things went yeah. the wrong way. <laughs> Molly and Haw, he's Gabe Ramirez on the score. Yeah, I mean, there, there's who he is as a as a baseball player, and that's you know, obviously massive for us. But then just his his presence, like you mentioned, both in the club, clubhouse and the lineup, I feel like makes everybody else better. And it's not really a measurable thing, but it's something I definitely really believe in. And um, yeah, he's awesome. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, that is Nico Horner, and he's talking about Cody Bellinger. Yeah, he's awesome. It's great. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, nice and to have an awesome player. I love that sign with you. Bruce Levine said that when I asked him, you know, who's winning here? Is it, the, is it Belly? Is it the Cubs? And he said it's the fan base because <laughs> it's true. Yeah, Everyone so at true. least can, like, Yep. Let out a sigh of relief, Molly. Oh, I mean, look, they needed to get this <laughs> done, and uh, and they've managed to, and that is uh, that's a wonderful thing um, to see happen. I I I felt it was a fait accompli. I felt like as we watch teams, whether it be Toronto or the Giants, kind of start signing guys and falling away from bringing back Bellinger. You just felt like the only place for him was the Cubs. And the question was whether they were going to blink and give him the, uh, the kind of money he was looking for. And the answer was no, um, they weren't. And they did give him a lot of money for one year and it's effectively a one year deal. And as you say, um, he will, he will either opt out or stay with the contract depending on how the season he has goes. I'm sure he wants that long-term money, but he knows he's covered for $30 million for a couple of years. I, I would be really surprised. He's 28. So when he hits 30 and he's on the free agent market again, I don't think he's looking for $20 million a year. I think he's looking for more money than that. Well, when you're looking at you know Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, guys that can't get deals, they yep. both are 31. Yep. It's just an age that most teams look at and say to themselves, I have to commit to you into your mid-30s, and that's, not, and that's nothing I really want to do in the present. I think, I think Cody Bellinger, you know, where he's at, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. You have a, a really good beginning to your career. You burn out in a, in a couple in the middle from 2020, and then you have a resurgence last year. So it's hard to really assess properly or try to gauge what you know your productivity can look like when measuring it out over the next couple of years. And that's why he's in the situation that he's in. But again, I just even if well, you and I were talking about this during the break, even if he has a year that is similar to what he did last year, where yep. as I as I pointed out in the pick six, highest batting average of his career. Uh, highest amount of stolen bases mm. outside of the shortened COVID season, fewest strikeouts, second in a myriad of other categories. So he had a good season. And even if he duplicates it, though, I think I think ownership, just because it's the better business decision to do, you're still going to be hesitant and not likely to give a long-term deal to a guy that you're still uncertain whether or not he can duplicate that success. But if he does duplicate his success, even if his batted ball numbers – um, don't jive with how well he did. If he does the same, don't you at some point have to say he's just different? He can do it, whether would you whether the data <laughs> supports it or not. 
Well, I, I'm saying because you still have to do. You're still doing two things that you said earlier in the show. One, you are roadblocking younger talent okay. coming in, so that's a big component. Yeah. And then the other I, side of it is is really seriously the money. You know, I, I mean, honestly, it, it, with no it, no disrespect intended for anyone, I'm being honest. If you have a veteran player with a track record of doing well, don't you prefer that to a guy that is a if-come-maybe type of player? Oh, he could be the greatest thing since sliced bread. He can do everything. Well, he can't do that, but he can do this and this. And doesn't. No, there's no power, but don't get caught up in power. I'm just saying, I, I you know, veteran players who have done it before have an easier time doing it again than guys that have never even been there. Especially in big moments. And, and I mean, the, the White Sox, I was just looking at their payroll, and their highest paid player is obviously Yoan Moncada, who was once the top prospect in baseball. Has he lived up to that billing? Has he lived up to that no. salary? No. I, you, you would have to say no. For various reasons, go ahead, make all the excuses. But the answer is simply no. You know, you would have been better off with a veteran guy that knows what the hell he's doing than a guy who's coming in and trying to learn how to play and and for whatever reason doesn't. There's thousands of examples of guys that don't live up to their projections. That's just the reality of life. And that's what that's the difference between potential and actual um, veteran sort of uh, ability and who people who have done it and shown they are going to do it, et cetera. All right. 312-644-6767. Frankie Z is in Naperville. Hey, Frankie. Hey, boys. How are you? I haven't talked to you in a while. Thank you. Great to talk to you, Frankie. Yeah, hey, listen, um, I'm a big Brewers fan. You guys know that. And, and I'm, I'm not here to knock the Cubs at all. That's not my thing. Mm-hmm. But the only thing is I would warn about Bellinger is, you know, I, I Everyone says, oh, what a, what a great signing. And it probably was. My point is, is though, if you take the last three years, two years bad, one right, good, right. how can he – it's tough for him to – well, I think, who knows I, what he's going to do this the, year. Well, the answer is simple. I mean, he was injured basically for two years, right? I mean, the, he was he was DFA'd uh, by the Dodgers. He was a, he was a uh, an MVP player. He got hurt, and he was hurt for a couple of years. So he had to get back to where he was. He had to do well in order to get the big contract. I thought he played great for the Cubs. I think we talked about him as an MVP candidate for a a large portion of the season, and he did very well for the Cubs. And then, you know, unfortunately or fortunately for the Cubs, nobody wanted to give him that big money because his, his batted ball data didn't jive with the numbers that he put up. So everybody was worried because the analytics said that it, it this might not have been a breakthrough. So you want to see him do it again, and that's kind of the situation he was in at age 28. So he signs a a three year deal for 80 million, and we'll we'll see. The Cubs are paying him more than they've ever paid a player for a single year. So you're paying him 30 million dollars. That's a his his um. He opted out on $25 million and he ended up getting $5 million more. The problem is he didn't get the long-term deal, and he doesn't get the – you know, look, if, if I signed a $30 million contract, I'm talking about me, 
you'd never see me again. You'd never be able to find me. I would get the money and roll. See ya. He's a, Molly's you, you living would, in Venezuela. You wouldn't know, but there'd be signs. He can't be extradited. <laughs> I'd be gone. But, you know, he's looking for more, and he's going to be playing well to try to get to it. Let's try, uh, let's try KC. KC is in Oak Lawn. Hey, KC. Doing there, fellas. Good. I want to thank you for fielding my call today. Sure. Now, look, I have a question for you. This is a head scratcher for mm. me, at least. Uh, seeing that Caleb Williams has not hired a agent. Yep. Uh, is he sending a message to the Bears? Because he, you know, it's, it's on record, Ryan Post does not like to deal with agents who do not, I mean, draft players that don't do have, agents. have agents. Yep. And, yeah. and you state that because of what happened with Roquan, right? Right. Okay. So is he sending a message to the Bears? I don't want to mess. I don't want to mess with my draft status or my value. But really, I don't want to go with you. And I know that Ryan Paul uh, has adversity. You're dealing with guys who don't have agents. So is he? Is he? Is this a precursor to the Bears for the Bears' number one pick concerning Caleb Williams? Um. Thanks for the phone call. I don't believe so. I mean, I I think that. If you look at the NFL, there is a rookie salary cap, and we know what the projections are for any player coming into the league. And you can want more, and you can get a percentage more than what Bryce Young got a year ago, but they're they're not they they don't have to give you what you want. There is a rookie uh, a pay pay scale, so you know what he's going to get. If he chooses not to give a percentage of it to an agent and he just wants to hire a lawyer to do that work for him, maybe that's smart. Maybe, maybe you know, why get an agent involved if the contract's already set? And it's the second contract where guys get paid. It's not the rookie contract coming in. What you want to do is you want to come in and you want to start that clock and you want to get to your second contract as fast as you can. And if you're good enough, they will come to you and give you the extension, uh, Patrick Mahomes, that uh, that you know is going to be out there for you. But you know they, you know Justin Fields is three years into his career. He's making about six million uh, this year, and then he will uh, jump to like twenty-two million if they picked up that option for the fifth year. They don't have to do that. They can keep him, they can trade him, they can do a lot of different things. But the fact is you just want to start that rookie contract going. And um and I don't I don't personally believe you've got to have an agent to sign uh, on a rookie wage scale. So I, I don't know. I mean you know if you get to the second contract and he doesn't have an agent and he's holding you up on it and you guys got a you're at loggerheads about the value that the player holds. That's where you get in trouble. I don't think th- I don't think this is a message to the Bears. Absolutely not. I I don't have an agent either, and I know people have given me crap about that in my 16 year career. But the fact of the matter is, there are certain radio personalities that have zero interest in things like that. Zero interest in reading the fine print in a contract. Zero interest in the nuances and the negotiating, and that's fine. But some people, like myself genuinely enjoy it, especially when you know numbers and what they should be. 
And as you mentioned, Caleb Williams is the same way. Second, second contract, he doesn't have an agent, then it's an issue. First contract, I don't want you to take 15% of my money. Well, I don't think that's I don't think that is well, I'm saying things that we You're right. And I think it. it's 5% in the NFL. But but whatever, because the contracts are, are significantly higher. Nonetheless, I don't think that it's a problem in the in the right now. I don't think it, well, let's put it this way. I don't think it's a message that he doesn't want to be in Chicago. Right. They, they will talk to him this weekend, and if he sends a message, they'll hear it loud and clear. But this isn't the message. 312-644-6767. It's Mully and Hall. We gotta we gotta mention something with the Bears, and we'll do that next. Mully and Hall on the score. Yeah, of course. Of course I wanna stay. To be honest, bro, I'll be trying to like, you know, with all the talk, it's, it's hard to, you know, I guess kind of just boom be in one place, but I can't see myself playing in another place. But if it was up to me, I would want to stay in Chicago. I love right. the city, the city's lit. The the fans there, you know, they're great mm-hmm. and the people, but um, it's a business. I ain't got no control over it. So whatever right. happens, happens. Mully and Haw, Gabe Ramirez, kind enough to sit in. David with a well-earned day off, and I think he's at jury duty. Really? Is that is that a well-earned day off? I mean, shouldn't you? If you're if you really get a day off, must you go judge I ass- others? I assume that you know he was just you know partied out from the Blackhawks game yesterday. No, he he's been arguing with uh, the uh, jury fine people, people with <laughs> jury duty that he is peerless. Therefore. Cannot pass judgment on others. That is great. I might have made that argument. Up. This. Wouldn't that. that be a great thing to say? Just cut that wouldn't into they, the show. Open wouldn't tomorrow. they just release you if you said that? I don't. Anyway, uh, that—that's the voice of Justin Fields. You just heard there. He was on with the Saint Brown brothers um, and their podcast, Equinemius and Amon Ra. We've got the wrong St. Brown brother. Uh, but but at any rate, it's interesting because, and we'll have to get into this a little bit, but Peter King, our guy, Peter King, um, he's apparently written his final Football Morning in America column. And, um, I, you know, I didn't know Peter was uh, was was done, uh, but, but he's done with that anyway. I don't know wh- whether he'll be back or what he will be doing, but – Here's what he said in his final column. He said, I suppose the Bears are going to trade the top pick. I know nothing, but that seems to be the way the wind is blowing. What I say, the Bears could the Bears could keep Justin Fields and should and trade the first-round pick once or twice and build the kind of support supporting cast Teams need to contend. Suppose GM Ryan Poles traded the top pick down one spot to Washington, which would then take Caleb Williams. He's a a local uh, guy in Washington. And they got the second round pick, second round pick, and a 2025 first round pick in return. So they would swap picks. They would get a draft pick next year from Washington, and they get their own second round pick back that they gave them in the sweat trade, and he says, then suppose Poles trades the second pick to Atlanta at eight, and the Falcons pick up one of the other quarterbacks, and in return, Chicago gets the eighth pick this year, Atlanta's second round pick this year, first and second round picks next year, 
and imagine them moving from one to eight and ending up with this draft hall, the eighth pick in the draft, which would come from, obviously, uh, Atlanta, the ninth, which is their own pick this year, second-round picks from Washington and Atlanta this year, three first-round picks, their own, one from Atlanta, one from Washington, and two second-round picks in 2025. You move down seven picks in the first round, the Bears could end up with nine picks in the first two rounds of the next two drafts. Instant infrastructure. (laughs) I love these because, Mully, I mean, you and I can literally create something out of thin air. My favorite is when you have conversations with Bears fans, and, and let's say that trade in particular, and they say, what, you don't like that? <laughs> You're like, yeah. yeah, I mean, the only difference is that it's Peter King. Right, It's right, not right, just right. a Bear fan who right. runs into you in a bar. But, I mean, I, I, think, I think a lot of people kind of feel that way, that you could end up with an unbelievable haul. Now, you know, who you getting at 8 and 9? Are you getting a quarterback later in the draft then? Are you – ignoring the quarterback position and sticking with Justin Fields as Peter would like to see you do. There, there is just a world of possibility if you start adding up all these draft picks. Now, you know, Big Z wrote that he believes the Bears are going to draft a quarterback with the first pick in the draft. He doesn't know who it is. Uh, we talked to um, our guy from our lads who said that he believes Jaden Daniels is going to move ahead of Caleb Williams and Jaden Daniels. And, and see, the problem is the whole time we've been hearing generational talent, Caleb Williams, people have been waiting years for him to come out. You don't draft him. Now it's like, whoa, hey, wait a minute. So you don't end up with Fields or Caleb Williams. Would you be better off trading down then in that scenario? I just think it's, you know, the, the, um, the combine, is an indie starting uh, today, and and it'll pick up. I think um, Flucy speaks at twelve thirty on Tuesday, so gear yourself up tomorrow at twelve thirty. Man, is there going to be a lot of information given out? A typical Matt Eberflus, what? Yeah, no, there's not going to be a lot of information given <laughs> yeah. out. But uh, okay, so so there you go. We'll we'll get back to that. We're going to bring in Phil Thompson. We're going to talk about the Blackhawks' day at the United Center. Dare we call it a dream day? The biggest the biggest day of the year for the Blackhawks at the United Center, and obviously the uh, the biggest attendance as well because everyone was there, and uh, it was loads of fun. It's Mully and Haw with Gabe Ramirez here on the Score. Great player, very creative. Got a little physical on me in the corner there, so uh, he's lucky he had the bubble on or I was going after him. We're gonna <laughs> That's Patrick Kane following the big game last night, referencing Bedard putting a hit on him at one point. The big bubble. That's uh, he's protecting his jaw, you know, the broken jaw that that he had. And now joining us on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline is Phil Thompson, CircaLasVegas.com. Phil does a great job with the Tribune. Phil, good morning. How are you, buddy? Ungratefully, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Well, I, I mean, yesterday was by far the best day of the year for the 
Blackhawks, it was, you know, obviously it ends in a loss. So that tells you something about the season they're having. But, you know, I, I was saying this morning um, that I felt, Phil, I felt the rhythm of the day, right? Starting with Chelly and the banner ceremony and the players out there and everyone in their Chelios T-shirts and all that, all the way through to the opening of the game and then the Caner tribute and then the actual game itself and the, and the ending and everyone cheering for Patrick Kane. I, I thought the whole thing had like a rhythm to it that was beautiful. It was just a great day. And, and it was even, you know, even, even like a little melancholy included with a, you know, a mm. former great player no longer with the team being the guy that wins the game and everybody has to cheer about Detroit winning. There there was just something about that day that made it super special. No, absolutely. And for us in the media, that day started even earlier when uh, Patrick Kane was at the Ritz-Carlton right. holding court with a lot of some of the familiar faces to him reminiscing about guys like Patrick Sharp and telling that hilarious story. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard this, Molly. I just want to share it real quick because it, it cracks me up. But he, he said that uh, Patrick Sharp uh, used to tell him he was like basically a super silver spoon fed, you know, first draft pick baby that you know got every opportunity that he wanted uh, because he was the number one overall pick. And then uh, Patrick Kane shot back that, well, you should have worked harder when you were a kid. <laughs> Great. That's great. And that applies to Bedard, right? I mean, he's no, protecting yeah. Bedard, too, with that yes. beautiful. Phil, I mean, uh, first of all, good to talk to you. Um, your first when, oh, you're you wa- when you're watching this game last night and you're seeing Kaner and Bedard on the ice at the same time, you see the check that Bedard gives Kaner. I mean, seeing the two worlds collide, what was that like for you having been a guy covering this team for a while? Well, it was really like three worlds colliding. You're looking at these yeah. generations, you know, uh, you know, Chelios and Kane and they're mutually, uh, you know, effusive words about each other. And then, you know, here you have Bedard, the the upstart, the heir apparent. Uh, I, I thought it was so poetic that, you know, he sneaks up on Kane and kind of says, uh, you know, here I am, old man. <laughs> you know, this is my team now with that little, uh, you know, shiver into the boards. Uh, you know, you couldn't have scripted it any better uh, except – you know, Kane and the Brinkett getting, uh, quote-unquote, revenge against the Hawks uh, with that, you know, rally and overtime game winner. I, you know what was amazing to me is, you know, just watching guys that showed up for it. And, you know, there's Dennis Rodman. There's John McEnroe. John McEnroe. Uh, at yes. one point, they cut to Mark Messier. I didn't know Mark Messier was there. And I'm like, holy God, look at this. Mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky comes in. He yes. talks to everybody. Went to both teams. Sydney Crawford, that, that might have been the biggest moment of the whole damn day when she buried <laughs> yeah. that goal. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, sign her up, man. Put her on the third <laughs> line. <laughs> well, they need some help, let's be honest. Um, look, and Bedard is is a tremendous talent, and it's so great to watch that guy play. But the Blackhawks are in a complete rebuild. Everybody knows it. They got a lot of young players in the minor leagues that will be on the way. I still, they still have two first round picks this year, I believe. Maybe they yes. get get that kid from Boston University, and they 
they just double down. They go tase and cane on the whole damn thing. But it, it's um, it it was just a great day be, because it reminded you of the past and it reminded you of of how you get to this point. And you know, Dennis Savard is there. Dennis Savard was the most. He saved hockey in Chicago in the nineties. I'll say that he was just an extraordinary talent, and he deserves to be up there someday. And I thought it was super cool when when Chris is telling Kaner, you'll have this day. This will happen for you. And, you know, there's Marion Hossa, for the love of God. Marion Hossa. The only guy that I didn't see was Taze, and I never heard him referenced. And it, I think he kind of, I don't know. I, I think he was kind of there in spirit, maybe. Yeah, mo- most likely. Most likely. I mean, uh, Taze has been kind of incognito, but I mean, the night clearly was about, uh, you know, celebrating Chris Chelios and, <clears throat> and to a lot of extent, uh, celebrating Patrick Kane. And, you know, the the thing that really struck me uh, with the way Chelios kind of r- ran his own ceremony is that he, he made it a lot about Chicago. You know, he, he made it about, you know, I am a Chicago native son you know, I lived and died with the championships and disappointments, you know, not just my own. Uh, you know, after the speech, he talked about how close a lot of the Blackhawks of the 90s were to those 90s bulls, you know, that they used to scrimmage with each other. And that's how he became so close to Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman. And, you know, they would hang out in bars and, and it was just – in a way, it just felt like a different era. Like, I, I just don't know if the sports has that kind of culture anymore. Phil, it can't. Social media, right? Like, I mean, the bonds that, like, yes, Chris Chelios yes. and Dennis Rodman out on a Saturday night in Chicago. You know, that can't happen now because of social no. media, simply. Like, that's what, so the bonds aren't created, right? Those those moments where you're out and having life experiences with each other, crossing, you know, different sports to bring celebrities, you know, from from their respective spaces. It just that that's where it can happen. And it is it is unfortunate because when you're looking at a guy like Connor Bedard, the age that he is and you know, where how long he's gonna spend in Chicago to try to bring this team back to prominence. I mean it's gonna take some time, but it would have been cool to kind of have those stories for him to tell because his stories when he's on that podium, like Chris Chelios was mentioning about Kaner and yes. such, the, his stories are going to be way different. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the things <clears throat> that Chelios was saying, like, like I mean, he admitted, and, we, and, you know, the story was already out that uh, he's like, hey, you know, I don't I don't care anymore. Uh, you know, before I got traded, I, you know, I was arrested the night before, and, and Gary Suter talked to me and talked about that and how, you know, he got involved. Uh, you know, he he didn't know Shelly else was scuffling with cops. He just saw that his buddy was in trouble. He jumped right in. Uh, I can't imagine an athlete now just being that candid about, uh, you know, it, an, an encounter with police. It, it would just be treated differently now. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to have those kind so of rough true. and tumble experiences yeah. uh, that you used to have of old uh in some ways, it's good, you know, keep them out of trouble. But in some ways, you know, like you said, when you're looking back, telling these stories about, you know, we we're hanging out in the bar and, you know, we got into this scrape and then we did that. <laughs> I just don't know. You're going to have those old kind of old school, you know, fairy tales anymore. 
It, you know, the, the other thing that is kind of extraordinary is that Chris is clearly like the greatest American defenseman ever. And Kaner might be the greatest American player ever when it's all said and done. So, I, you know, I know hockey, the NHL is very, it's, it's a Canadian sport. And we always talk about uh, that element, but Chris Chelios's life story is pretty extraordinary, you know, going, moving to San Diego, winding up with Moose Jaw, winding up at Wisconsin, drafted by the, the, uh, Montreal Canadiens, and just the 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 fact that he played forever. That guy played till he was forty eight years old in the NHL. It's ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you hit the point exactly. I mean, the way he was telling you, you would think he would never have turned out to be an NHL player, much less you know the godfather of American hockey. Uh, I mean, at the time before Moose Jaw. Uh, he said he was basically a surfer in San right. Diego, just looking to get into recreational hockey. Uh, he said when, uh, you know, uh, he went to uh, Moose Jaw and then Wisconsin, he, he didn't know how to be a defenseman. Like, he was taught how to be a defenseman uh, through, you know, before he went to the NHL. And you would think, oh, he had been doing this for years, becoming one of the greatest defensemen in, in hockey. It's just like it's almost like he's the Forrest Gump of hockey. <laughs> the way his story <laughs> kind of unfolds uh, is it's incredible. And I thought it was awesome the way that he talked about Dick Butkus is the and he became friends with Butkus and 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 saw Dick uh, shortly. I think like a month mm-hmm. before uh, Dick Butkus passed away, they had lunch together. And, you know, just the idea, like Chicago guy made good, you know, local guy, the number retired by the local team. I thought that was just a special moment to talk about those two and, and what they meant uh, to people who love the sports. No, absolutely. And as uh, he was sure to point out during his speech, you know, he, you know, Chelios and Buckus are, you know, one of two. Yep. to have their yep. yeah, uh, number retired in their hometown. So, uh, I mean, he – I mean, this, this guy, you know, you cut him, he probably bleeds the Chicago flag. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? All three colors. <laughs> you know, the red, white, and light blue, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. uh, uh, he, he was just about everything uh, Chicago and an appreciation for, you know, the, the kind of that south side uh, ethic – uh, that a lot of those guys have. So, uh, you know, he, when it comes to that, you know, he's pretty authentic. Who's yeah. next? Who who do you think is next on that group? You know, we mentioned, you know, Savard probably belongs in that group, in my opinion. I've heard people talk about Larmer being a, like a secret Hall of Famer that never was appreciated enough. Maybe he's a guy. That, that whole team, you know, you saw – you saw um, – you know Duncan Keith sitting there, and and Seabrook, and um, well, Hosa I believe is already up there, and maybe even Patrick Sharp, although wasn't to the manner born, not spoon fed. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's just there's so there were so many great players on those Blackhawk teams, some of whom had to leave. Right? I mean, we yeah, we still yeah. see Panarin out there. We still see you know the Brinkett is playing with Kane on that line. 
it's just weird how good that group was that went through here and how they're all elsewhere. Yeah, but going back to your earlier point, I, I think you hit it on the head. Uh, in hockey circles, some media, I think there is some grassroots support for Steve Larmer. Uh, just very unappreciated for uh, you know what he's done, what he's meant, and and it's just you know well liked. So uh, maybe he's next. Uh, you know, I've heard some support for Seabrook whenever he officially mm-hmm. retires, but you know he has to. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, he he has to go through that. But there's you know there are a lot of people uh, campaigning for him on different fronts as well. Phil, uh, before we let you go, I got to ask, you know, you're looking at this team currently as it sits at the bottom of their conference. You know, they have a bright spot in Bedard. They're obviously, you know, trying to add some talent. But how many years, right? I don't want to say how far away, but how many years <laughs> until not 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 to where they're, you know, the same as the Blackhawks of the 2010 or the Chris Chelios. When squads, do they start winning close. a little bit? Yeah, yeah. get on the other yeah. side of this. Minimum two years, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, that. I was going to say it's, it's probably going to be two years because, you know, you you have a lot of guys, you know, they're at different stages. It's not like they're all in Rockford right now. I mean, you got guys like uh, Colton Dock that will probably be coming up. You got Oliver Moore that could be sharing, you know, at Minnesota, you could be sharing a line with, uh, I almost call him Patrick Kane, Connor Bedard one day. That's a Freudian slip. Uh, you know, if, if uh, lightning strikes twice, uh, the Hawks could end up with Macklin Celebrini, and then you have, you know, two lines with one with Bedard, one with Celebrini. Um, I mean, they could be your your new McDavid and Drysdale uh, of the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they got a lot of young pieces. Alex Vlasic has turned into a fine. Um, you know, you have Kevin Korchinski. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that he's going to turn out to be Kale McCarr, but, uh, you know, he, he's an offensive defenseman. So you just have to give uh, – and defensemen take longer to develop. you got to give these guys a little breathing room. You know, maybe you start seeing some inkling, some flashes next season, but it's probably going to be at least another two years. And like you mentioned, you know, they got two more first-round draft picks this year and then yep. two more first-round draft picks the next year. Uh, so there, there's a, and all these guys aren't going to make it, but you know, you're stocking the pipeline. You're, you're really flooding the pipeline. Uh, it's kind of like a shotgun theory. You know, you, you throw a bunch against the wall and, you know, see what hits. Yeah. I, I mean, Oliver Moore at some point, I know he's only 19, but hell, I mean, is is uh, uh, you know, Bedard's 18, uh, Frankie knows our, they're, they're, they've got a yeah. lot of young players, that will be up here in the next year or two. So that that's good. We don't even know, though, you know, what they need to – who their Marion Hosa is, so, you know, who's coming uh, once they start getting really good and ready to start attacking. That's a few years away, I suppose. Well, also consider right now, you know, they have to, they have to sign people just to reach the floor. Right. So they're going to have some money when free agents come up. That's the question that, you know, we're trying to get at with Kyle Davidson right now is, like, when do you start adding pieces in free agency? Because it's not going to all be done uh, through the draft. It's like like you mentioned, you know, Marion Hosa 
they brought him in at just the right time. You know, he, he had the experience. Uh, you know, he couldn't quite get there, and he was that missing piece. And they're building a foundation uh, to help bridge to the era with guys, you know, veterans like Nick Foligno and, and Jason Dickinson um, that are leading by example, uh, instilling a new culture. You know, not to say there was anything wrong with the Taze Kane culture at all, obviously. But, you know, this team's got to form its own identity and step out of that shadow. And you have to have guys like that, that like that to help get you there. Phil, great stuff. Thanks for jumping on. I know you got a, a lot of long nights ahead of you yet this year, sadly. <laughs> but uh, but that was a glorious one yesterday all the way around. A lot of fun. Uh, absolutely. And thank you so much, guys, for having me on. That is Phil Thompson. That's fun stuff. What a day yesterday for the Blackhawks. And, you know, combining all of the past and all that means with what you're doing right now. Um, always a fun thing to do. They, You know what they do? A first-class job, and they have for a while. It, it's just extraordinary. I thought they did a hell of a lot better than the Ring of Honor. What do you think? Yeah, I think the Blackhawks have the luxury of having, you know, them being an actual storied franchise for decades where mm. the Bulls had an era, and yes. they've been trying to capitalize on that, and people are just like, ah, give me something else. Where the Blackhawks can say, well, we have Connor Bedard. We had Patrick Kane that we're, that's, we're celebrating here, and Chris Chelly. It's just like... It's just a different. Yeah, you're right. It's completely you're different. You're right. Totally different deal. All right. 312-644-6767. They're heading to uh, Indianapolis, the Combine, getting going. We're going to talk a little bit. We'll, uh, we'll get back to the Peter King plan. We'll talk about whether or not there will be any clarity this week. It's Mully and Hall. We've got Gabe Ramirez, Chicago Sports Radio 670. <laughs> Mully and Hall, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Was it that funny? That's very funny. That's very. That was last year. They went to the combine and they brought in the guys and they wanted to loosen them up a little so they they would have a fun little competition. They play darts or putt putt golf. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted to see how competitive they were. Is that what they wanted? Yeah, I believe so. I think they just wanted to loosen them up a little, <laughs> try to get to get them feeling good. I don't know that. Can you show your real competitiveness if you're no good at putt putt golf? Yeah, because you'd still want to win. Maybe you'd say, right. "Hey, let's play again. Let's go another nine holes okay. or whatever." You know, another nine. <laughs> don't you run out of time in the interview? Then <laughs> I'm just asking. I, I mean, whatever. I just don't know that that's going to reveal. Could your you imagine? True, I think it's just to loosen guys up. Hey, Ryan Poles. Hey, Matty Bruce. How you guys doing? Hey, son, pick up that golf club right there. We're playing some putt putt. Yeah. Well, you know, here's a dart and here's a golf ball. You choose. You failed. You're out. Yeah. You're out. Get out of this room. I think I can't golf for anything. Um. Why don't you like my Drake May? Uh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's interesting. You said. Um, that you want them to take Drake May, I, I you're the guy then, huh? Oh, it's I me. think I'm by myself. I think Drake Drake May is kind of a created player. Um, no way. I think he fits the prototype, right? If you were going to, you know, six foot four, the size, the arm strength, I think he's. I think this is how you get in trouble um, with drafts. If you start 
rating guys higher based on if they fit a certain profile of a player. Now, there are some people that will not take a quarterback unless he's that height, unless he fits those what they consider prerequisites for the position. I just don't know. Um, I just I worry that the tape doesn't support um, the kind of physical ability that he shows. Do you know what I mean? Like he he looks better than he plays. Is that is that overstating it? His college I think that's, career. I think that's sim- have, simplifying it too haven't much. Haven't you haven't you gone down the route of a North Carolina quarterback and uh, come up short? I, I, if, so if, to speak. If, if that's what we're doing, then I mean, we, we can no longer take you know quarterbacks from Vanderbilt or or Ohio State anymore. Or I mean, that's just you you can't have that mindset I'm going. Just in. making a joke about Mitch Trubisky. That's I, know, I know. I I think that um, you know I think that if you take a, a quarterback, you should take Caleb Williams. That's a guy again that you've waited for him to come out. You um, you look at him. Had he come out last year, I think he'd have been drafted over um, C.J. Stroud, who should have been number one, and Bryce Young, who was number one. And I think he'd have been the top player taken in that draft. Yeah, coming off of a Heisman Trophy winning season, I mean, I'm sure he would have been up there. I think that, for me, it's about draft compensation. It's not simply putting up Drake May against Caleb Williams. It's... If you take Caleb Williams, then you're missing out. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 